Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode 19 where we revisit and rank The World Is Not Enough. With Electra losing big at the casino, it's time to go to the woods today where we're in for a medium-sized surprise. Join us as we take a look and eventually add The World Is Not Enough to our rankings. So after the casino scene, we then go to the head of security, the, the guy we saw before. What was his name again? Davidov. Davidov. <laughs> David, isn't, that, isn't that a fragrance for men, Davidov? I, I was going to say, is that like a washing <laughs> detergent? <laughs> I think Davidov. it's Davidov. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So, so he and somebody else is in the woods at night. And there's a load of fire kind of burning nearby. And we see, I think one of them has a gun, I want to say, or there's somebody else with a gun who's also there. And Renard stops out, steps out from behind the tree. So he's inside this tree where there's all this fire and he steps out of it. So we know it's Renard because we saw his face before in Scotland. Uh, so you're sure he's like, oh, that's Renard. Uh, and he starts talking about the devil's breath. They're at the devil's breath where it's a Hindu holy place and... Lots of people come over here to see the fires that never die. And he then picks up a scolding hot rock and it burns his hand, but he doesn't react to it. He just kind of looks at it because he can't feel pain due to the bullet. And as he's holding this rock, he then asks the, the head of security, the, uh, what happened? What happened here? And he kind of says that it went wrong. It's the old, because they were trying to kill Bond, I guess. This is the, supposed to be them talking about the power hawks and saying... Oh, we failed. So the other man that's with them says like, oh, this is a terrible idea. We should scratch the mission. We shouldn't do this anymore. This is a, we shouldn't do this at all because of what's happened and things have gone wrong. So Renard picks up the scolding rock. He goes over to the head of security and then like, yes, he is saying like, yes, this is your plan. So you need to be punished. So he like puts the rock in the guy's hand and is burning it. But he then makes the man with a gun say he's like shoot him as punishment so he shoots the other guy the one that says we should scratch the mission and then he explains to the head of security that you're going to replace him and the plan is going ahead and so this is our introduction to renard and it's really tricky with this because i just want to say this is really stupid and i don't like it but i think with bond that's kind of not the point sometimes because you can say the same thing about other on villains and moments and say that's really stupid it's awesome so so the the thing i want to figure out in my head is about why is this stupid and it's bad and i think a lot of it comes from the setting is bad like i guess it's idea the the idea of the devil's breath but it's so silly that they would meet at this holy place and having renard saying like oh it's a holy place the fire that never goes out it's it's too much it's too set up and also just Renard and the guy's acting is just no intimidation factor there. And I think that's what it comes down to with villains for me, uh, trying to reduce down the formula a bit. They either need to be fun or intimidating, and the mm. best ones are both. Yeah. Um, so Sanchez is intimidating, but he can also be kind of fun in an odd way. Um, but you <laughs> the can have iguana. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the iguana and stuff like he can have those moments and be quite charming as well. So you need to be fun or imitating or both. And you can't have a great villain that's just one. Uh, but you kind of need to... That's what you need. Uh, but 
he's neither. And I don't think they were trying to be fun with this guy. And he just is not intimidating in the slightest. And because you have this kind of more exaggerated scene where they're in this woods, it just all completely collapses on, in on himself. Where unlike the Edo Carver stuff where you're having fun, I think this just all comes across as really, really, really lame. Uh, I'm I'm mixed on this too. Can't, pretty much for the same reasons you're saying. I think, yeah, the whole devil's breath flames everywhere. It's very Hollywood. It's very kind of just a set. And I think they did that mainly because it's like, oh, yeah, actually, maybe this guy could be scared. Well, he isn't as scary as we need him to be. Let's put some fire around him. <laughs> Add loads of flames. Because I would say, so Robert Carlyle was the actor that plays Renard. I'd say he was more intimidating in train spotting with his natural Scottish accent. I think they should have made Renard Scottish. I think that would have been way better. Oh, he wasn't he he was crazy, wasn't he? Was he, he the crazy person? Yeah, he was the crazy one in that film and he was he was actually crazy and, and kind of scary. So um yeah, I would agree with you. I don't think he has any sort of um kind of menace here uh in this in this film and in this scene. But I have to give the film credit that They've set up this character who is has got a bullet in his brain and it's taking over and and ruining like stopping his senses. When you're going to have such a schlocky setup as that, you have to stick to it. You have to go for it. And at least they do do that from the get go. They're like, all right, we we're going to have him in this location because there's going to be hot rocks and he's going to pick up the hot rocks and it's not going to feel anything and he's going to use that as a punishment. Like at least they use that here because they don't. What happens to his characters is it doesn't really carry on that way. I think by the end, he just becomes a pretty standard, boring man. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's okay, but it's definitely a lot that I don't like about this either. Yeah, slocky is fine. I just, I think there's an art to it. <laughs> mm. There's an art to the slog, and they just get the balance wrong here. And it might be because of the way he talks. I think the actor's bad, honestly. As you say, this is a famous actor. He's been in a lot of great stuff. But here, it's just so miscast. Where he's like talking very slow and softly and you're supposed to kind of buy it. And and let's go back to the hot air balloon scene where the woman's like, you can't protect me, not from him, and blows herself <laughs> up. And then this is the guy, old half an eyelid down, holding hot rocks. I'm like, that's your, that's your dude? It just doesn't, it doesn't match. It's like they're just mashing these cliches of bond villains expecting it to work without really kind of developing it in a way so it does work and i think as you say a more psychotic bigger louder presence that this guy has done in other films probably would have worked a lot better but instead we get very slow and somber being like why did this go wrong and oh the devil's breath it's it burns forever it's like what are you on about yeah, he's actually quite mopey for a lot of the film, isn't he? <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, it just doesn't work. I, I would prefer someone who, I can't feel pain, so I'm nuts. <laughs> let's, let's go out with yeah. a bang. But yeah, instead, it's like, I can't feel pain, so I'm going to sit around and be mopey about it. It's like, no, no. so wrong for this actor. <laughs> yeah, that's it. He needed to be more like Stamper, where he just gets stabbed and it's nothing. There you go. He did just look smiles. crazy. Just smiles. Yeah, he loves it. Yeah. I don't want to go on too much about Renard, but I will say I think he's the worst villain. Although there's like a big caveat with that well, <laughs> about of, of him all, being the villain. Of all villains? I think he's the worst, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, I haven't really thought about that, but that's that's a bold statement there. Up to now, anyway. I feel like the next film might oh, <laughs> run past him. Yeah. 
Like with flying colors, make it and be the worst one. But I think even like for your eyes only an octopusy, there was a little bit more going on, a little bit more interesting. This one just I feel like falls so flat on its own face with what they were trying to do that I just didn't like Renard. I don't really like Electra. I'll just say it, and I think Renard kind of gets weakened by her and where it goes. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? They sort of have to share the villain role for at least the second half of this film. So maybe that was one of the effects of of Renard is kind of weaker because he's ba- he's basically playing half of that role for the film. Yes. So with Renard doing his city fire stuff or whatever, uh, we go back to Electra's house. So now it's at night, and we see Bond and Electra are in bed together. So I guess Bond did stay. I, don't, I don't bloody know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and she, they're together naked in bed and kissing and she points out about his sore shoulder um, and there's like some ice chewing as they're kissing and we keep like this film does this a lot where it just likes to fade to like the same scene that it's already in and that happens here where it's just like they were kissing and chewing ice and then it just fades to a different shot of them in bed yeah you see all the champagne on the floor and the clothes everywhere, yeah. Yeah, it's really awkward editing. Um, so it, it fades to himself and Bond asks her, how did you survive when you were captured? Like, how did that happen? And she says how I seduced the guards and I used my body and eventually I was able to get a gun and I was able to escape that way. Uh, and then, oh, I want to make sure I get this line right. What the hell is? What the hell did I write? Is it Bond's response when she says, how do you survive? Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) he says, is it, I I take great pleasure in beauty or something like that? Yeah. I think it's like, Bond's like, how do you survive in general? And then she's like, how do you survive? And he's like, I take pleasure in great beauty. It's like, what are you on about? I don't know. I guess it's just him sidestepping, but (laughs) it's kind of strange. I think it's supposed to be like a compliment to her. Saying like moments like this, and you're so bootalicious, or <laughs> that's how I survive. <laughs> oh, that's the deleted scene. <laughs> yeah, that's the original line. There to do reshoot. Bootalicious. But... I've not heard that word in so many years. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> we really are in the nineties here. <laughs> oh yes, all in. Uh, but yeah, that then that's kind of that. Really, they're now slept together, which. To me, the idea of them sleeping together makes sense because it's a Bond film and she's somewhat the Bond girl at this point in time, but it's more just kind of a bit awkward dialogue. It's I have all the same things to say about the other one as I do for this one. I appreciate the effort. I appreciate they are spending time on this and having them go back and forth, but it doesn't mean what's happening here is work and the awkward editing just doesn't help in the slightest. Yeah, I just don't really feel like this moment was earned as you say, they've got to get together at some point. It's the Bond film. It's needed for the plot. But we've seen, we've discussed the scenes where this has tried to been put across that Bond is falling for her. But I, I just didn't get it. And I suppose when was the last time we saw them? It was them in the casino. Like they just, yeah, I don't know. I think that's why. It just, it just sort of seems lazy. Just like, oh, we need to get. Them yeah, that's now, right. So. It was the casino scene, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh god, that makes that's so stupid. Then <laughs> I didn't even yeah. think about that. Oh yeah, that's that sucks. Thumbs down. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, we get to move on from that because uh, we see uh, it's now kind of the middle of the night. 
Electra is alone in the bed because Bond has snuck out uh, and he's left to go investigate, I guess, the house and the grounds around and try and find out more about Electra and, and use this as a, an opportunity to find out more. So he ends up kind of outside in this little sort of outside office bungalow bit. Um, there's all these guards walking around that he avoids and he it's locked. So he, he uses his trusty... A visa, yeah, <laughs> a visa. very clearly visa card, <laughs> visa credit card, and he kind of pulls back the the top bit, and this little key flips out of it, um, and uses that to break into the office. <laughs> and I think, I think that the key even makes like a little noise because, of course, every gadget has to make a noise, so it makes like a little beep or something. But um, yeah, he starts to look around this office and around all the drawers and the paperwork, trying to find some some clues, uh, and as he does so. Davidoff comes back from his meeting with Renard in that fiery place, the Devil's Breath, and parks his car and comes into the office that Bond is in. So uh, Bond sneaks out. I think he, I guess he goes through the window. They don't and... show it at all. Yeah, they, I guess they he just cut the to like, oh no, the guys walked into the office and turned on the light, and they just cut to Bond outside. So yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. fine. Yeah, because now Bond is outside and at the car that Davidoff drove it, drove in on. So he's kind of looking around there. He's got his little torch ready. Um, and as he's doing this, he's looking through back into the office he just was, and there's Davidoff, and he's clearly preparing himself to take the skies as the doctor we saw. So he's taking a photo of himself and getting dressed or something, I don't know. And yeah, so Bond is there with his torch. He opens up the trunk of the car, or the boot, I don't know why, I guess... I guess it is a bit... I'm going to say boot. I guess it is American here, but still, anyway. um, Yeah, and inside is Arkov. That's the name of the Doctor, Doctor Arkov. His, his dead body's in there. Yeah, that was the man that was shot before. That was the man that was shot before, yeah. So they stuffed him in the boot. And Davidoff comes back out of the office, gets back into the car. We don't really see what's happened to Bond. Davidoff just is driving out. And we see him drive to a very small kind of very small airstrip or at least outside of it anyway where a plane is is taxiing in the background ready for him so he comes out um opens a boot to i guess deal with arkov and what do you know he looks in there and it's actually bond bond is taking his place and <laughs> as he opens and, and pulls back this cloth that bond was hiding behind you get this little musical cue and you get a great kick to the face it's honestly so smooth might be one of my favourite parts of the film. It's just this one kick. It's such a great kick reaction shot. I can't praise it enough. That sounds stupid, <laughs> but it really is very good. Very funny. It's more funny than it has any right to be. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Bond just shoots Davidoff. Uh, steals his ID card that he was wearing, that he was just making, and throws his body in a dumpster. Very, uh, very glamorous end to that character. And... As he's dealing with that, one of the plane crew comes and meets him and says, are you ready? Uh, they were expecting Davidoff, but Bond is there instead. I think he has a quip here, but I really can't remember what it was. He says the man was buried with work. Buried with work. Even though he didn't get buried. but Yeah, matter. hang on a moment. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a minute. So yeah, Bond's boarding the plane instead. He grabs a suitcase. If he said, and... okay, sorry, did you say he went in a skip? He did. Then you could have said he had to skip it, right? Like that's oh, that's the obvious yeah. one. He ha- he had to take a dump. 
No, that was... Oh, no, wait. <laughs> Bond wouldn't say that. <laughs> I think so, no. <laughs> so anyway, Bond is boarding the plane instead. He He grabs a suitcase from the car and outside the plane... They say, like, hey, have you got the goods or they've got the grease? And Bond shakes the, the bag he's got. It's kind of a duffel bag and uh, it's some trainers. So I guess that was how he was sort of paying off these these people on the plane uh, for some nice new... I don't know if that was a product placement. Were they Nike or Adidas? Oh, I can't maybe? remember the shoe names, but they do show them again Yeah, on the plane. They probably were. So, um yeah. Because you see on the it cuts to them inside the plane and they're all wearing them. So very easily bought, clearly. Uh, and in the plane, the, the main guy comes and says to Bond, they're nearly there, like they're 10 minutes out. So go get ready, go put on your uniform. So Bond goes into the, the bathroom and finishes off his disguise as Dr. Arkov, kind of cutting out a photo of him and putting on the ID and stuff. So I don't have a massive amount to say about this scene. It's, it's pretty entertaining. It's a nice balance of... It's taking place at night, so it's all very spyy and Bond pretending to be someone. That's all good stuff. But despite the criticisms, I was actually quite enjoying this film at this point. I was quite into it. I wasn't like, oh, this is one of the best ones. But so far, it was pretty solid for me. It, it was a decent amount of variety. I think Bond, it was all just kind of solid. Not Nothing amazing, but all kind of solid. So I'm just setting that up for later. Because okay. at this point in time, I was like, oh, I might have to rank this quite high. <laughs> um, but that's mm. that's mm. not how it ends mm. yeah i didn't i didn't mind the scene either it's it's uh, a lot of kind of visual stuff at first as well and you're getting a bit of bond sleuthing around and not just he does shoot people but not just shooting people willy-nilly and actually working out stuff and it's always nice to see bond kind of getting into a disguise for something so yeah it's it's it is quite plain pun intended but it, it does what it needs to it, it's it's good enough um, yep. So yeah, they arrive uh, in Kazakhstan. We see the new Kazakhstan. location, another place. Check that off the list. Uh, and he's been Bond is in a jeep with all these other people from the plane. They're driving through this very sort of deserty landscape. It's just random explosions going off in the distance for some reason. I don't really know why, but yeah. Um, and we then cut to kind of this bomb or this very science scientific thing going on where some scientists are working on a, a nuclear bomb or something or taking something out of one you don't really know what yet but one of them says they need to go get some air uh and then back with bond he arrives at this uh, it's a decommissioning site we later find out and he's there posing as dr arkov and he he greets this kind of general looking man russian general looking man and Bond is is in a Russian accent because he's meant to be Dr. Arkov and this other guy is Russian. They're both some pretty bad Russian accents. I don't know. I can kind of buy Bond having a a bit of a schlocky accent for the purpose of the film. But this other guy, this other guy sounds like Robbie Coltrane. I was like, did he dub him? It's just, yeah, anyway, it's really nothing, but it just kind of caught me off guard. Um, and yeah, but he asked for Bond's... Uh, travel documents and kind of like yeah that's all good and as they're walking away the scientist from before is revealed it's christmas jones yeah a woman a woman a woman <laughs> <laughs> she is uh, an ida physicist i wrote that down because i have no clue what an ida physicist is but that's what she is and um the, the general guy is like 
basically ogling her or at least saying that all the men have like, oh yeah, she's is she pretty, but don't don't try anything. She's not interested. She does doesn't care about all the men around her. So um yeah, getting that out very very early on to Bond. Um but yeah, she she comes over and, and says like uh well she introduces her name and says no jokes, which doesn't well, we, we get end up getting a couple jokes about a name like Christmas Jones because of course we do. Of course. But I uh, do like the joke here though, where it's Bond like she's like, Yeah, Doctor Jones, Christmas Jones, don't tell the jokes. I know them all. So Bond says, I don't know any Doctor jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Because Russians are really unfunny, guys. That's everyone knows that, right? Well, That's I don't think you... it's meant to be Russians are unfunny. I think the <laughs> the point is that like Bond is all the jokes are meant to be about Christmas, so instead he pretends no. like he doesn't know that. So I it's a bit of subversion. Funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was very, very British kind of joke. <laughs> but yeah, she's, uh, she starts to explain that she's been here cleaning up nuclear leaks or something to do with hydrogen bombs. I don't really know. Does... She's a scientist, all right? She's a scientist. You have to believe it. The film's telling you. Um, and she's very good at removing plutonium from bombs, which <laughs> they make a point of because that comes back later on. Uh, makes it all the more believable when it happens, yes. Um, but yeah, she tells Bond to head down into the mine. Uh, but is kind of immediately suspicious of him, uh, posing as Dr. Arkov, because like, he forgets to grab a tag, and he says about, oh, is it safe? And she's like, yeah, you should know it's safe. And then the last thing she says is, oh, or she says in Russian, um, your English is very good. And then Bond replies, also in Russian, I studied at Oxford. So Why did it have to be Oxford? I, 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 I'm surprised it wasn't Cambridge. It was Cambridge before, wasn't it? In, in yeah. You Only Live Twice. But everyone keeps saying Oxford. Like, M said Oxford. Bond says Oxford. In the last film, he was at Oxford. Why, Sponsored why? by Oxford. Yeah, I guess Oxford pumped a load of money into this film. But <laughs> I don't... Like, a little bit of Oxford, sure. But I don't know why Cambridge has been completely cut out. That seems a bit harsh. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think about last film. It was Oxford as well. Uh, they go where the money is. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Bond heads down, uh, down an elevator, down a lift into the mine. And he walks down this really long, big tunnel, this huge tunnel, all these pipes and everything along the walls and heads into this big central room uh, where there's these workers on sort of like a crane and stuff. And they're all working uh, on a missile that's in the middle of this room. And would you know, Renard's there. He's up there on a a little uh, cherry picker. That's what they're called. Um, Giving them orders and, and supervising them. Uh, Bond spots him obviously and uh, kind of cuts to Renard and he's he's, uh, taken at gunpoint by Bond and pulls him over to the wall and this is where Renard says about uh, oh you know you should be thankful uh, because it was it was him who saved him back in Bilbao that's when he says it and uh, because he needed Bond to be alive to deliver the money back to King so he was all part of the he was just a a, you know a cog in the machine of the plan so yeah, there's a bit of back and forth here between Renard and Bond. Bond is threatening him and with the gun, and Renard kind of taunts back um, that, uh, you know, if if you kill me, then if a certain phone call isn't made in 20 minutes, then Electra will be killed. And he starts to go in about how uh, gloating as her former lover before Bond and kind of what happened with the kidnapping and kind of really riling up Bond, getting under his skin. And so Bond eventually just sort of 
loses his temper and whacks him with the gun um, and kind of knocks him out on the ground. Um, or doesn't knock him out, but kind of knocks him to the ground. And as he's about to kill Renard in cold blood, uh, I can't remember the line that Bond says to set him up with this, but basically Renard says, there's no point in living if you can't feel alive, which obviously is the same line that Electra said and, and gets Bond's attention and it makes it go, hmm? And it's say such an exaggerated... Like, this is another case of they really want you to notice that Bond has noticed that line. So yeah. You just get this shot of him be like, huh? But like, I, <laughs> not quite that level, but not far enough away from it. It's not that far off. And I think there is like a, a little musical thing as well. Like a little... Like a... <laughs> <laughs> just to make you really notice that. Yeah, you're right. It is a bit... Bit forced but that there, didn't but... click for me that they were that was the same line maybe it's because i wasn't paying attention that much in the electro scene but i had no idea why bond was doing that huh and it only made sense later so for me i was just like why is he i was going her <laughs> and it's her <laughs> just a her back and forwards so i was like huh, all right oh okay oh interesting hmm so I see. the film the film didn't go far enough for you no, 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 no! It should, it should have paused and been like, "Remember," and then it rewinds and goes. Oh, it like dream fade, <laughs> black and white. <laughs> There's no point in living if you can't feel alive. Like... <laughs> the camera pans up and there's like a thought bubble of <laughs> yeah. Bo- 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 Oh, okay. Well, anyway, yeah. Renard says that and gets Bond's attention. So it kind of makes him pause momentarily, um, which gives enough time for uh, the general. I keep calling him a general. I don't know what he is, but he looks like a general. Uh, He shows up in this mine along with Christmas Jones, and she's there with a bit of paper saying, you know, that's not the real Dr. Arkov. Uh, Dr. Arkov is is actually a 63-year-old man. And that did make me think, if only this was a Roger Moore film. This all would have worked perfectly. <laughs> He's too young. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, I messed that up. It should have been his too old. <laughs> Look how old this man is. He's clearly not young enough to be the general, <laughs> to be the doctor. Oh, but Poor yeah. So, <laughs> really, yeah, it's, it's been so long now since Roger. We just can't leave him alone. Um but yeah, she's worked out that he's not actually Dr. Arkov and uh, the general forces Bond to drop his gun that's on Renard and, and release Renard. And all while this is going on, the, the workers are still in the background. They're still carrying out this plan. They're still loading this missile onto the thing to move it down and, and take it away. So um, as they're doing that, Bond spots uh, one of them take out a card from the missile and put it in their breast pocket, one of these henchmen or workers henchmen um so yeah renard is is standing up he's free again and uh kind of walks up to bond and taunts him a bit more saying about uh you can't shoulder the weight or something like that and some sort of pun to get him to grab his shoulder and as a sign to know that he does have that shoulder injury and um as he goes to carry on with the 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 missile stuff the the general says no stop there's been too many new faces. Uh, there's too much of a security risk now, so that missile isn't going anywhere, uh, which causes Renard just to start gunning down everyone along with all the men. So they just start killing the general and, and everyone else there. And Bond and Christmas, they kind of hide down below uh, as Renard carries on with the plan and, and pushes the missile through the door. 
and actually starts to uh, close the hatch as well. Like there's this massive hatch in front of it, which is starting to close. And um, as it's closing, Bond uses his trusty rappel watch to shoot up and and kind of thrust himself really awkwardly upwards up through the door as it closes at the last second. I think this could have worked, this scene, or this little this little gadget action scene, because, like, it, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. We've seen his watches do loads of stupid things in the past. I think it's just that they have this one shot where they show the rappel, like, hook in, like, plant into the metal, and it just looks so tiny, <laughs> just so pathetically small, because it's from a watch. And it's like, there's lots of things I know I need to just n- let go and not, overthink in a bond film but i really did not buy that that watch could take bond's weight i'm sorry uh, i thought it was fine i suppose I, I think the main thing that is odd is that we had this a different version of this gadget in goldeneye but in goldeneye it was the belt and yeah, for some reason it's in his watch and it seems odd that they would do something so similar but just a little bit different two films later oh yeah i forgot about the belt yeah it wasn't his watch at all <laughs> The belt does make more sense as well. Yeah, you, mm. you can believe it because it'll be longer. Like, it would be a longer, more sturdier thing. But yeah, it's odd that it comes from the watch. And, you know, we're following the Piers Brosnan era of gadgets where, like, yes, there's the Q scene where they set up a load of gadgets, but about half of these are just stuff he kind of just has, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I found it odd that it was so close to an older gadget. That's why I found a bit distracting. Mm. As Bond jumps through uh, yeah, at the last second, just before the door closes, he kind of duck, uh, does a, uh, a roll and and takes cover behind some sort of mine cart that's on the tracks in this tunnel section. Uh, so that gives him cover to push down and keep chasing Renard and the men. And uh, he's got a gun from somewhere. I guess he picked one up and uh, starts shooting some of the guards. Uh, the one that he does kill was the one that had the card in his pocket. So he grabs that and... At one point, Renard just kind of also just kills one of his own men because I guess he's fumbling around and he just gets angry with him and just shoots him. Very kind of uh, Sanchez-esque, like we saw. So basically, Bond is working his way down the tunnel. When he gets to the end, it's just him and Renard left and Renard is behind this bit of glass, uh, which Bond tries to shoot uh, like right in the forehead, but it's bulletproof. And uh, Renard says something whilst he's behind the glass, which is the lift. I don't think it was a very cool line because I didn't write it down. It feels like it should be a cool one-liner there. Did you write it down by I didn't chance? write it down at all. I was just so, oh, just cringing and just hiding <laughs> from all the anything with Renard in this scene. So yeah. I have no idea what he says. Okay, well, he says something and he starts to go up on the, on the lift and as he goes up, he pulls a latch uh, or a pin on a bomb that's been set under underneath and that starts to go off, uh, which Bond spots. And so he turns around and... Uh, whilst this has all been going on, I should say that Christmas was um, trying to open the doors on her end in that big room. She was getting some cables and doing some zapping with them, and she eventually does get the door back open. So just in time for Bond as he he swings down on this harness thing down the tunnel as the bomb goes off and like he's blasted forward. And yeah, he jumps through the door as it's closing again and blocks off the big explosion. Um. Can you tell that I'm kind of done with the scene? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that uh, Bond and, and Christmas are fine in this central section for now. 
Uh, Renard is back at the top. He's now escaping on a jeep. Uh, I guess it's the same jeep that Bond came in on, thinking about it. And um, just shooting the whole site as he drives through it, like gunning everyone down, uh, getting back onto the plane that Bond arrived in. And as everything... I don't know why everything starts exploding. I guess there's just, yeah, been a lot of explosions from that bomb, and so that's like a chain reaction now. So the whole place starts to go up. Uh, Bond and Christmas Jones get on this hydraulic lift, which would uh, take them up to the top, and uh, he shoots the, the hydraulics, which causes it to fly upwards, and you get the whole, uh, who are you, Bond? And then it flies up, James Bond. So, yeah, they squeezed in the Bond, Boo. James Bond. I don't know. I thought Boo. they... They squeezed it in as well as they could for that. It was okay. They already did the Bond James Bond thing. <laughs> Just well, not in this with, film? Not with Christmas Jones, but he says it before to Electra. Oh. The name's Bond James Bond when they're talking by the church. Oh, right, yeah. I guess they need... Imagine if they did that for every single time Bond <laughs> says hello yeah. to The everyone. name's Bond James Bond, hello. <laughs> uh, like, oh, right, okay. Um, but yeah, they reach the top... Um, and escape out of this sort of like separate hatch, uh, just in time to see Renard fly away in the plane, and the whole site exploding. But Christmas says, "Oh, it's fine. Don't worry. There's a there's a card in the missile, uh, like a GPS locator card, so they can track it." And then Bond obviously shows that's the thing that he got from the get uh, the henchman, so they now can't track the missile, the bomb. And then weirdly, Ooh. they play wow 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 <laughs> over the top. Yeah, I was expecting it at this point, actually. <laughs> so yeah, you didn't like was, this scene? I didn't like this scene, no. I think it, it had all the elements to be interesting, I guess. But it just wasn't for me, <laughs> simply put. I think it... I had a decent time. The thing that sings it for me is Renard. I think he's just terrible. Um, and there's more than one time I put the word lame in when describing Lame. <laughs> there's just so many things that are lame. But I think... I like the idea of Bond running through these tunnels. And I think the tunnels itself, I think it's a really good set design and potentially the best one we get in the entire film. It is very, it does, it's very striking. And there is something about these tunnels, these massive tunnels that really do stand out. I think it looks extremely cool. I think, again, the main problem is that it's about Bond and Renard and Renard. It's just a, such a lame villain. And I think where his lameness comes from is he's trying so hard and I think you're meant to, think he's cool and intimidating and stuff and he just isn't and it just means everything he says is just like oh you're just awful just stop just stop trying stop trying to do this no one's buying it and that's kind of the worst type of of villain for me and this was just bad um but again i still didn't really have a bad time i i think the the set design is strong enough and some of the explosion stuff is strong enough where i, I still had a decent time but yeah, the lift stuff with the Bond, James Bond stuff I didn't really like, and Renard stuff I didn't really like. So I guess that's most of it, thinking about it, but I, I still think it's decent enough. Yeah, I don't... I The stuff you're saying totally makes sense, apart from I did like the Bond, James Bond bit. But <laughs> yeah, the set is interesting. I think I would agree with this. is one of the more interesting parts of the film visually. I just don't know why it didn't really work. I think there's just a lot of... I think the whole bit with Bond going down the tunnel and... It all just felt, I don't know, there was no real impact to much. And then, and then you have, yeah, you have like the little bit with Renard behind the glass. And ugh. I'm kind of, I, I do agree with you that Renard is, lame is a good word. Lame is a, is a, is a perfect word for him. 
I'm glad you're getting this experience, so let me finish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because that feeling you're having, I think, is the same feeling I felt with a lot of the John Glenn scenes. Mm. With the way he approached it, where it's like a lot of this stuff on paper, pretty good, but I'm just not feeling any of it. And yeah. that's what I got from a lot of John Glenn stuff. I think that's a lot of the that's a, the majority of this film is that on paper it all looks pretty good. Yeah. But maybe it was just, I don't know, maybe it was just a bad day watching it, but nothing really hit home for me very well. But I think this ties into what I was alluding to at the beginning when we were talking about the director, old Mickey, old Michael, yeah, where he was a safe pair of hands, where he directed, well, 24 episodes of Coronation Street I'm reading. Oh, hello. In 1967. Oh, great episodes. <laughs> I remember them. Oh, bangers. The best year for the street, I think. Yeah. Um, Surely that must have been when it started. 1967. I know. God. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I was kind of getting at. And I think you're feeling it with this scene and other scenes before as well and later scenes where he's a very experienced director. He had been directing since the 60s. He was going, gone into films in the 70s. And yeah, he hadn't done a ton of different films that were similar to this. But although that seems to be their MO when they hire directors for some reason. Should we hire someone who's really experienced in like cool action? Nah, nah, nah. We'll get the, we'll get someone who directed <laughs> Coronation Street, or we'll get the guy that directed Stop. My mum will shoot. Oh my god! Like, I looked up that poster by the way after you said about it. It's bad. Yeah, it's something. It's it really is. And I think, uh, and this guy directed Gritters in the Mist. <laughs> Gritters like in the Mist. Film. Wow. Yeah, so it's a safe pair of hands. It's an experienced director who can just deliver on the film, but there's always another side to that where it just kind of lacks style of real proper kind of identity, and I think that's what you get for so much of this film. For me, it doesn't really sink the film as much as I thought it would. Uh, It's not great, um, but I think it is this director that kind of isn't really able to bring out something that you can kind of connect with and identify with with these scenes and you know again we don't know enough about directing a film and scene shots and the way they're put together but obviously the way he puts it together doesn't bring out the excitement or the tension in the same way that like martin campbell was able to do with goldeneye and i think it kind of the fact that the plot is somewhat confusing as well and the film is a decent length it's 128 minutes long so we're back to the longer lengths again uh really does kind of hurt the film in a lot of ways and i think you do feel it with this scene um in particular that that is it i'm i actually wrote this at the end of my notes kind of summarizing the whole film but i'm going to say it now because you're basically hitting the nail on the head for me is that this film thus far and going forward uh is just it's strangely bland strangely bland is how i put it because i think i should be liking it more but i i just it, it just wasn't working so that's a shame yeah and shall we talk about Christmas Jones later? Shall we put a pin in that? Please do. No, okay, well. <laughs> I, I, I will just quickly say now that there is, whenever I read about this film, there's always so much attention put on Christmas Jones and specifically the actress that plays her, which is, um, oh crap, I wrote down her name. Oh, I can't remember her name. But anyway, you know, very, very glamorous, um, beautiful Hollywood actress. And it's like, oh, she's playing a, a, a physicist. And I never really bought that as the like the thing to really rag on is like she's playing a physicist because like, well, if she was written well, then you would buy it. It's not because of the actress. It's because she was just written terribly. 
I agree. The actress is totally fine. She's and fine. it almost seems like sexist looking back on it. Like, yeah. whoa, a beautiful woman couldn't be smart. It's like, what? It's like, that's, that's kind of what they're saying. Yeah, it's Denise <laughs> Richards, that... by the way. And that was the actress. Oh, Denise Richards, I see. Uh, but yes, that almost seems worse, where that feels like of the time in the 90s, you couldn't have someone attractive. Um, again, they don't do, the film doesn't do any favors, like you say, with that scene where the guy's like, look, a beautiful woman, but no, she doesn't like men. And she's like, take like she's wearing like what lara croft would wear yeah she really is <laughs> like yeah. shorts and a tight uh top so yeah they don't help themselves um but yeah almost that sort of stuff feels uh feels dated in its own way that criticism because yeah. i didn't really think about that stuff that much it didn't it doesn't come up that much apart from that one scene at the beginning mm, there's a few bits later on towards the end i think they is just bad but yeah i honestly don't think the actress is at fault here i think she did as well as she could with the dialogue she was given yeah agreed so this leads to m in scotland we go back with m and tanner and they're kind of looking at a map and they're saying oh where could have renard gone because they know he got off in a plane so at the very end of that last scene they actually bond and joan sees a, a plane go flying off so they're trying to figure out where we could have gone so money penny comes into the room as em and tanner are discussing this and says a lecture is calling and they bring up the video feed and this always looked really stupid because like it comes up on the video feed but rather than just being in the middle of the room there's like two separate screens that shows the exact same thing of a lecturer's face <laughs> i love how that annoys you <laughs> just like why it's so unnecessary <laughs> Isn't it because there's like a shield or something in the middle? They can't move the shield. <laughs> yeah, but why have it twice? I don't know. I guess symmetry, need, but... Yeah, it's need like, balance. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so she's saying like, oh, Bond has disappeared, my head of security has been murdered, and ask Em, can you come? Because I think Em is saying, I'll send someone right away, but she's like, oh, no, I need you to come. And Em agrees... So we then go to Electra, who's on her laptop in her house and she hears some creaking and somebody's moving around in her house. So she looks around and is a bit nervous and we see Bond enter and Bond has knocked out her guard and comes in and Bond straight away starts saying like, there's no point in living if you can't feel alive. And she's like, <laughs> cool. Uh, but I love he, the way he says that line as well. It's like, yeah. there's no point in living if you can't feel alive. <laughs> 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 yeah oh i mean i would that just made me think about the golden eye stuff where pierce brosnan was having fun with some of these lines and how much oh, yeah. wish they gave him some more fun lines because he just doesn't have any in this film yeah to the point where yeah. he's doing this where he has to emote weirdly about this line <laughs> which is something he does so well but he just doesn't get that chance yeah sad so yeah so he's all mad and getting mad and he says to her like renard knew about or said the same line that you said you said that same line and renard said that same line he also says uh, that renard knew about his shoulder like how could he possibly know about my shoulder and where exactly to make you know squeeze to make me feel it and tells her to drop the act and he starts then talking about stockholm syndrome and explains that Stockholm Syndrome is where a captive falls in love with the captor, so accuses her of having Stockholm Syndrome for Renard when she was captured. And she gets very upset about this. She says that you, that, that Renard disgusts her, I think, and is very upset. And 
is then saying, you use me as bait, which is that stupid bait word again. It's like, uh, you use me as bait. And I, I, I'm going to say this now because this is when I wrote it down. Her acting is awful in this scene. Like, I, I just don't buy it in the slightest. Like, yeah, there's double layers here where mm. the point is that the character is supposed to be acting, but it just comes across as so bad. Like, such bad line delivery, not really that good lines. And this is really the beginning of the end for this character for me. This is when I was like... Oh, really? This is when I just stopped liking her. The the hammer doesn't... Or the nail doesn't get hammered until later. But I thought this scene was so badly acted. I was just like, oh, I wasn't even mad. I was just like, oh, that's bad. That's terrible. Oh, <laughs> oh she doesn't reaction. pull this off at all. Oh, that's interesting. Because I would actually say the opposite. I'd say this is where the character actually does start working for me. Okay. Yeah, where we actually then start to get the more... Well, the other the other end of the character, like in terms of the more villainous side of it, but um, that's interesting you say that. Hmm. But I'm guessing you're more interested in the concept, right? And oh, the yeah. ideas here. Oh yeah, I mean, I can't actually speak for her specific acting, but I think you're right. It's, I'm more interested in that they're trying something different with this Bond girl villain role. Yeah, because because I, I would agree with that. The concept and the ideas are still pretty good and pretty interesting, and this is where they kind of start steering more into that. But the acting just completely sunk this scene. She is right. so bad right. <laughs> that it was enough to distract me from it. But I agree with you. The the concept and this Bond accusing her of working with uh, Renard and Stockholm Syndrome and saying that that's all pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. So she gets a phone call and takes the call and she's told that there's 10 dead men at one of the pipelines uh, and she tells Bond that M is coming to take charge. He's, M is heading here. So we then cut to like an airfield where Dr. Jones is there. And I think Bond is around, I would say. And we see M arriving at the location in a helicopter. And M smiles at a lecturer and greets her. And, and yeah, they greet each other. And Bond is still hanging around. There's quite a lot of characters at this point. And they go into another like big mi6 style room where it's a lot of computers and a big screen um but bond and m go into a separate office nearby to talk and bond gives m the locator card so this is the card that was on the bomb that was supposed to be used as the gps to track where it would go so bond says here you go like we can't find the bomb because here's the locator card so gives that over and bond tells her that you shouldn't be here like m shouldn't have come um, but M responds by saying, well, you shouldn't have left her alone because Bond disappeared and M asked Bond to protect Electra. Um, but Bond then goes into his theory about Electra, saying, well, we know somebody close to uh, Robert King is the one who swapped out the pin. So Electra could have been that person of which I don't think we get a lot of reaction from M. She kind of like doesn't really buy into it. But uh, at this point, we see the pipeline so they're looking at a big screen of the pipeline and the, the oil pipeline that the, is being built. And one of the parts is flashing red. And I I think I got the name wrong, but I heard it that it was a rig that was inside the pipe. What, that thing on the screen that's flashing? No, the, the, so well, the, the thing that's flashing, because there are the things that go fast inside the pipe. Yeah. I thought they were saying rig. I, oh, what, like the thing that they eventually ride on? Yeah. I guess so, yeah. I don't know why it starts flashing in the first place, to be honest with you. It just does. Well, I think it's out of control, I'm assuming, but I just want to oh, see okay. if I... I might, I'm going to have to look this up, because <laughs> I don't know why we call it... 
Uh, oh, a pig. Oh, a pig. Actually, that makes sense because that's what they called it in um, the Living Daylights. When they oh, were... the thing that the yeah, yeah, that guy's Kuskov. Kuskov, yeah, Kuskov, yeah. Oh, a pi- yeah, pipeline inspection pig. But they just say pig a lot. I thought they were saying rig, but I guess it's pig. But how in the hell are you supposed to know what a pig is? <laughs> relative to, to an watched, oil pipeline you meant to have watched the living daylights very recently oh that's true yeah which yeah. oh we did oh <laughs> uh so yeah so they they see that something's flashing red and there's something going wrong with one of the pigs inside and bomb bond is saying and dr jones is there of course for no reason uh bond is saying oh there's a bomb in the pipeline and it's on one of these pigs and then a lecture oh hate this hate this line uh turns to bond and says do you believe me now bond it's like, just oh. shut up will you <laughs> yeah just give her a slap or something oh, oh my god i'll leave it for now but i hate that line oh. i hate it uh so the bomb is heading towards the oil supply for the wet so there's a lot of mumbo jumbo here but the general idea is that if this bomb on this pig that is shooting through the pipeline if it reaches the end of the pipe it will blow up. It's a nuclear bomb because we know it's the plutonium that they stole before from the base. It's what Renard stole. So Renard has put the bomb on on the pipeline. Uh, if that reaches the end, it will completely destroy like all the oil reserves of this pipe or something. And it will completely cut off all oil to the west. So it's very bad. So yeah. Bond gab- grabs Charles or Robinson. Uh, is it Ro- yeah, Robinson. Um and Dr. Jones, and they go to go to the pipeline. They all get in a helicopter, they fly off, and then they find a point in the pipe where they can get onto a different pig and ride that to catch up with the one... Well, actually, no, I think they actually go ahead of it. Um, so they go ahead of this pig that's traveling through the pipe, get on the, their own one, and then they start going forward. Um, so they're shooting forward and back up, well, I don't think it is MI6, but back at the the base where M is and Electra is, they can see these two circles. So one of the circles is the bomb, and the other circle is Bond and Dr. Jones. The reason why Dr. Jones is there is because she's a nuclear physicist, so she can defuse the bomb. Um, so that's the general plan. Bomb, uh, Bond and her are going to defuse this bomb. So they're going quite quick. They have to go faster and faster. I wasn't too sure exactly what was happening uh, because I didn't realize they were ahead of it. And the whole mm. point is that they're trying to go quick enough so when the bomb catches up to them, it's not a big impact. Didn't quite pick up on that until the end. Oh. Um, but that's what's happening. So as that as they're going along, we cut back to M, and M is saying to Electra, like, Bond is the best we have. Not that I would ever tell him that. I'm like, oh, perfect. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> I mean, a terrible workplace behavior, but it makes sense for M. Yeah, very toxic as a boss, as yeah. a line manager. You just left this on my <laughs> on my evaluation. You just left positives blank. Well, I would never tell you. Oh, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But I love that. It's a, Again, I, I always enjoy those small little character moments, and I totally buy that. M would be like, well, I have a massive amount of respect for Bond. I think he's amazing. I would never tell him that. Yeah, I, I only I only give it away with a few, that you know, a little look here or there, a little glint in my eye. I can't say it outright. No, no, no. I wait till he leaves with a nice smile. Yeah. And, and he never knows I do that, but it, it helps me anyway. 
Uh, yeah, so it's so just the... is this M in counselling or something? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it might be. She's she yeah. Electra brings it out of her, I guess. Uh, so the rigs eventually, or the pigs, sorry, uh, do collide and they get like caught together. So Bond and Jones or Doctor Jones climb across onto it, but the controls have been jammed. They can't stop it. Oh no! Oh no! So Jones then starts to try to defuse the bomb. And Bond sees that the screw head on this bomb has been, like, removed. Uh, and then we get some product placement here. Did you spot the product placement? Oh, is it the little gadget that she's using? Is it, like, a Sony one or something? No, no. So so there's the countdown on the bomb. Right. But, like, in the bottom right, there's, like, a Windows Me logo. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it was Windows Me Millennium Edition. Um but it was definitely Windows, and I think it was said me. And I was like, huh, another throwback. <laughs> oh, so that's where they got the hundred and whatever, $30 million budget Yeah, from. it's another sponsor, as you Windows, say. Windows, Big yeah, budget, Microsoft. lots of sponsors. But Blimey. yeah, I just saw that. I was like, oh man, that brings me back. Because I had a PC that was Windows me. It was very strange. Um, really? I only remember XP as my first one. Well, me oh, was... Oh no, be- 98. It was be- yeah, 98, and then it was me, and then... I guess then it was XP. Oh, okay. But we're getting two thousands ish. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah we're, we're getting <laughs> off topic. Um, so yeah. So Joan says that the explosion, uh, some of the explosions or the plutonium, or whatever, some of that stuff has been removed. So there's just not actually that much explosives in this bomb. So she's saying this wouldn't cause a nuclear explosion at all. Although if we stay here, it will blow us up and kill us. So there'll be an explosion, but it'll be a very small one. Uh, so Bond then like jams the pigs with a knife to separate them. So they that gets separated and then he orders her to jump. So they both jump off the pig and the bomb blows off. Um, blows off? Goes off. Um, which cuts off a big chunk of the pipe. And uh, we go back to M and everyone and they're saying it wasn't nuclear. The bomb must have been a dud. So... Um, you know, fo- a little bit of a false alarm, but Emma's is very shocked because on their screens they saw the two pigs being tied together and explode. So she's she's thinking Bond is dead. Um, and at this point, Alexa's like, "I have a gift for you." And Emma's like, "Not really the time." <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, he was my best agent. Not that I would ever tell him that. So I am a bit sad about this. <laughs> Not that I would ever tell him I was sad about it. Um, <laughs> Uh, but Electra's insistent and M opens up this little box and it's the pin. Oh. Remember the pin? No. Oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, this is the pin, uh, Robert King, her father's pin that she swapped out. And Electra's guards inside there kills the operators and takes over. And Electra then taunts M about being a Bond being dead and. And rightfully gives her a good old slap. So she's now slap. fully revealed herself in f- true villain fashion as being the one behind this all. And uh, I guess there's two sides to this, right? I like the Bond kind of pipe stuff. It's something a little bit different. And I still think there was a decent amount of tension here. Not the most interesting. Uh, and I, again, I like the little character moments from M here. It's, I feel like Anne was a little bit wasted in the last film and they do bring her a little bit more in front or more involved, which is good. Maybe they don't go far enough, but that's up for debate. Uh, but I don't like the Electra stuff. Sucks. <laughs> I, I just don't... 
I just don't think she can pull this off in the slightest. And again, the the whole line about like, do you believe me now? And I guess this ties into my general problem with her is that she comes across as very bratty, very much like a teenager. And I think some of it is the writing. And I think some of it is also the actress as well. So when she goes full evil, this should have been quite a cool scene. I just think it's, it just falls flat on its face. I don't buy her fake acting. And when she goes evil, it's like, Oh, I just didn't like it. Um, but I will, you know, echo what you said previously before. Again, concept-wise, it's all pretty solid. I just think the writing of this character and the way she is, she is portrayed completely ruins her for me, and I couldn't get into this at all. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I know I just said that this is where I started liking the character, but you're right, this is a little bit... This reveal of her being evil, it's a little bit hammy. Like, she does go a bit too villainous from the get-go like aha um and i think it kind of yeah when you say bratty that is that is it i i would have liked to have seen her maybe being a bit more uh intelligent with how she reveals this to M, or at least or maybe just changing the scene entirely to have this in a slightly different setup because i think it is very much like a kind of like no 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 here's the pin like i got yeah. you sort of thing and yeah, I, I do think the character probably deserved a little bit better in terms of the big moment to, to kind of reveal her, her true nature. Um, but, yeah, that is what it is. I will say, I agree with you with the pipe stuff as well. I I said I didn't really like the ski scene. I didn't really like the the mine scene. I don't really like the scene coming up with the caviar stuff. This scene, as simple as it is, I think this is actually one of the better action scenes in this film. And I mm. think... Um, it it has it's better than it has any right to be because it's in this really cramped setting. Obviously, you're in a pipe and on these really fast peaks, and there is CGI involved here. Obviously, with uh, the background is CGI and everything, but they do it in such a clever way that I think it actually looks really good. Like I, it really sells it, like they are actually in a pipe, which is kind of crazy uh, considering the other stuff that they do. I mean, saying about the the terrible CGI helicopters, admittedly, I miss them, but. They do do some CGI well, and I think this is a sign of it. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was all really solid, all very interesting. It's something very different. And yeah, they sell the sense of speed a lot better than maybe they have any right to be. And it is the old back and forth with what we've seen before with Piers Brosnan, where people or MI6 are like in the control room observing stuff. And Mm. I quite like that trope. I, I don't know if it always works, but I think it works quite well for them looking at the pipe and having the ending be that Bond blows up. And now we straight away know he's fine because we see it. But having M see that, that's pretty That's pretty cool. That's pretty out there. And then also have the reveal towards M. I think the M stuff is strong and I think Judy Dent plays it well. It's just Electra is, as you say, a bit too hammy. Uh, I would have liked if they used the pin in a more interesting way. Mm. Like if she didn't just go up to her and be like, here's my pin, my dead yeah. dad's pin, lol. Like, if they placed it somewhere and then M realises and it's too late and then sees Bond die, like, something like that. So you get a bit more tension and see it kind of play out in a more interesting way where things kind of fall into place rather than just... She might as well been on a chair with a cat and just swiveled. (laughs) (laughs) I got you now. Uh, But they could have done it well. They could have done it in a really cool way. It just doesn't... Ah, oh, Michael, you, you, you're killing me here. Like, it, it didn't quite work. I, they didn't pull it out in the way they really needed to. But again, the M stuff I like and the pipe stuff I like. 
Yeah, that the pin is a good little plop device they could have used better. You're right. And it's almost as if they had to rush to get this in there. Like, oh, we need to get Electra revealed now. We need to get her to kidnap M. Um, why don't we write it that it's... We're right into the film that it's an awkward moment. Yeah, because she's like, oh, now's not the time. It's like, well, that, that's how we get over it. We'll just we'll shove it in there and we'll point out that it's kind of shoved in and that will make it okay. <laughs> like, well, no, <laughs> it doesn't. But anyway, regardless. Um, yeah, it, it just could have been smarter. And yeah, that line about do you believe me now just kind of ties into the, the brattiness that I get from this character where a cool and sophisticated character would not, or somebody who was more intelligent, not that she's stupid or anything, but as you say, like you want a little bit more you know, gravitas. Is that, is that the word? Well, uh, yeah, especially when you learn about what she has done to get into this position, you expect her to be very manipulative and controlling. And, and what comes of that is, yeah, some sign of like planning and intelligence behind it, whereas not just literally showing the pin to M point blank. Yeah, you want cold and calculated. Yeah. Um, but you just don't get that from her, which is a shame because I don't think it would have taken much to get that. It's just almost like they didn't kind of realize that was the strength of the character. And it might be some more of that more on the nose dialogue. Whereas we already have seen with this film, they're very deliberate in terms of like shoving stuff in your face you need to see or need to understand with Bond being like, huh? And stuff like that. So I feel like Electra's line of like, do you believe me now? Is more of that. It's more just on the nose somewhat lazy filmmaking where they need to you need to know that you know that you know this is more legit like why would she blow up her own pipeline that doesn't make sense but instead of doing it in a more intelligent way with better dialogue and more subtly and more interestingly they just have her turn around and say this bratty line of do you believe me now you really dislike that line don't you? it's just so bad it's so bad. It's so lazy. It's so poorly written. It's it. Uh, well, I've said it, haven't I? So I'll I'll leave it. There. Do you All believe right. in Aljo that I don't I like belie- that line? I believe you now. I do. <laughs> Please open stop. The, open the box, Joe. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Can I slap you then? <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe. All right. So anyway, we're back um, at the exploded pipeline with uh, Bond and and. You keep you call her Doctor Jones, which just makes me think of Indiana Jones. So I'm gonna keep going. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> but in all my notes, I called her Doctor Jones. Not even just Jones. I don't know why I felt the need to write out Dr. each time. But yeah, wow. all my notes it just says Doctor Jones. This makes me think of like short round calling Doctor Jones <laughs> every time. <laughs> oh, someone's must have done that joke before. Must uh, have done. But yeah, they're um, they come outside of the the pipeline, you know, relatively unscathed. Uh, although you can see Bond is like grabbing his shoulder because it still hurts. It still hurts. Um, but yeah, Bond is explaining uh, why he told her not to blow up or not to disarm the bomb and to let it explode uh, because now Electra thinks they're dead, so they're they're off the radar. They can sort of try and get closer to him now. And, you know, it's a pretty simple explanation, pretty simple thing for the audience to understand, although you, for some reason they feel the need to have Christmas, have that really Hollywood cheesy line of, do you want to put that in English for those that don't speak spy? It's just like, oh, don't say that. Don't write mm. that line. Never write that line. Um, and it's not really that hard a thing to understand either. <laughs> anyway, uh, she doesn't know about Electra, to be fair. So that's why she's saying that, I guess. She doesn't know about all this stuff of Electra going on. Um, so, yeah, uh, they wonder what Renard is now going to do with that other half of the plutonium that was missing from that, that bomb inside the pipe. 
and Bond calls into Robinson and asks what's going on. And Robinson replies, you know, red alert, M's been kidnapped, there's three men down. And upon hearing that, they, um, they're trying to work out what to do. Bond's trying to work out what to do. And then he sort of has, he says, there's one thing they've overlooked. And it's not the plutonium. It's beluga. <laughs> it's beluga caviar, of course. Um, which, honestly, when I watched this for the first time, I was like, what? Uh, <laughs> yep. Because I didn't even hear he said beluga at first. I only saw that when I was looking up like some subtitle stuff. I was like, oh, okay, beluga caviar, I get it. But, um, yeah, I, I totally kind of missed that that link. Well, it's not even a link really yet, is it? You've been mentioned once. Yeah, are you um, going to explain it to us for those who don't speak spy? <laughs> Zukovsky now has caviar. Oh. Which is what he was saying in his casino. So not only does he have a legit casino, well, legit, he also has a legit business selling caviar. Um, so that's the next plan for Bond. But before we get there... Uh, we switch to Istanbul. Another Tick. location. <laughs> Another location. Um, as Elektra is in, um, I think it's a place called Maiden's Tower. It's like a real place in, in Istanbul, uh, kind of like sitting in the middle of the sea. Uh, and she spots Renard coming in on a boat uh, out the window. So she goes down and she's very excited to see him. As he comes in, she kind of hugs him and they begin to share some gifts. Well, uh, I say gifts. I mean, they're not your typical gifts anyway. Um, so Renard shows her the half of the plutonium that he's got and weirdly asks her to touch her destiny. Um, and then her gift for him is she goes and shows him M, who's now been locked away upstairs uh, in, a, in a cell. And uh, she's looking very sad and cold and... Miserable, obviously, <laughs> as you as you would be if you got kidnapped. Sad and cold. <laughs> she she has a blanket later on. So. It's, so, it's this simple. How cold can it be? I don't know. She just looked quite sad and cold. Yeah, uh, everything's very blue. I find, but anyway, um, yeah. M uh, stands up and says, "You know, oh well, my people will find me, or my people will finish the job." Um, but uh, Electra kind of goes on to say about I don't know how she gets to this point, but she says about how she actually hated her father and um this whole plan about killing him was because he stole her mother's kingdom from her and kind of leads into the whole oil and the pipeline stuff and he wants to take it all back i think she leaves then and renard says about how uh it's basically m's fault for how she turned out like you did this to her with what you did in the kidnapping and and not and advising not to pay off the ransom um that M's going to die very soon, along with everyone else in the city, by noon the next day. Uh, and when he says that, he puts a little uh, kind of small alarm clock on a chair in front of her cell to watch her tick down. And uh, he leaves the room. And he just starts to see the hint of a plan forming M's, M's mind as he's gone, where she, she realises that she still has the locator card in her pocket from Bond earlier in the situation room. It actually so, uh, does the dream fade, and then it shows the scene <laughs> of Black and White Bond saying, here's the locator card. She's like, ah, yeah. Now I remember. Now, how many times in this podcast have we said things that I really now want to see someone edit? Oh, man. <laughs> so, so many times. Just this film's so many... quite long, but I would take those edits. Honestly. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, we cut to um, 
Renard and Electra are now in bed together and he's caressing her body, but she's not. It's kind of obvious that they've just slept together, but uh, she's kind of not really into it. She's not really having any of it. And, and Renard, this is where he starts to get all mopey. And he's like, oh, are you sad because Bond is dead? And do, do you miss him sort of thing? And was he a better lover? And uh, she says something which makes him angry. And he goes and smashes like a sort of glass mosaic table nearby and gets loads of shards stuck in his hand or in his knuckles but says that he feels nothing, obviously, because no brain stuff. So Electra comes over and starts pulling out these shards. And more ice. She loves ice, this woman. Um, she brings him back to the bed and kind of uses ice to seductively make him feel as much as he can do. Uh, it's all a little bit, uh, you know, it's all, yeah. And they we quickly move on from it because um, it's kind of a bit awkward and cringy. So um, we, we cut back to M, who she's, trying to MacGyver her way out of this situation somewhat and she's got the uh the locator card remember and she's trying to pull the alarm clock closer to her um using this big stick that she got because there's loads of junk in this cell room it's not an empty cell there's like all these statues and things around her so she's grabbed this stick and she's trying to pull the chair closer and she's not very good she's an old lady all right so she might have been good back in her day but she causes the ta- uh the stool to the uh, knock over and the alarm goes out of reach so no good all right well let's start with the with the positives m in a cell great stuff great stuff macgyvering it love it yeah i like seeing m out of this element i like that they they had a more personal attachment with m for this storyline so it makes sense that she does get kidnapped in this way um so I like her getting more involved. I would argue they don't go far enough because this kind of goes absolutely nowhere after this kind of bit. But uh, but I, I like it. Like I like the attempt. It just feels like they do it better later with Skyfall uh, and some of the other films. But this feels like a first attempt to get M more involved like this. It's pretty good. It's just not quite there yet. So And having M trying to, again, MacGyver her way to that clock, that's a ton of fun. It's nice to see M trying um, and trying to get out of it. That's all good stuff. Yeah. Electra Renard is terrible. (laughs) I thought you were going to say that. (laughs) Absolutely awful. You've got two terrible characters with just this nothing relationship and it sucks. (laughs) Like It was so enraging. Like, I just don't buy any of it. And it, it, it ties more into the Electra teenager thing again, where she is standing at the window and like a dog looking out there, getting all excited and then like runs over to him as he gets into the building. And I'm just like, oh my God, it's such a, a teenage girl thing to do. <laughs> like the boyfriend's round, so you're going to get all hyped up like this. Oh, it's just pathetic. Uh, and Renard is still doing his like slow voice where he's trying to be that intimidating, soft, more soft-spoken kind of villain. So having these two together, oh, they're just awful. It's just, <laughs> it's just awful squared. And this was really the time or the scene that should have really sold this whole scheme. Like this really needed to step it up for you to buy it because this whole film is is on these characters, what is happening and their relationship is a big part of it. And it's just so lame. It's just so uninteresting. It's another scene where Electra is just like naked for it, which is something they do throughout the film where there's just a lot of times where she is a beautiful woman. So she's just naked barely being covered up which again removes her character a little bit 
um, because they don't really do it in a way that's empowering or anything. She's just naked where Renata's just fully dressed. And she's like, why is that the case? That's so dumb. Um, and it just sucks. Like this was the, this is the hammer hitting the nail into the mm. coffin, which is these characters and this relationship. And sadly, because of how core they are, this plot of the entire film. And I was just done after this scene. It's so uninteresting. It's more Renard like, I can't feel this. It's like, we know. We saw the head. It's fine. And Electra being a teenager and Renard being just lame and brooding and stuff. And it's just, I don't buy any of this. So, you know, the M stuff helps. But this whole scene was just absolutely terrible and just did not work on any level. Do you know what? You're making me realise that I say about liking the Electra stuff this point on, but I think I really only liked the final scene with her and Bond, actually. Because, <laughs> yeah, the scene isn't very good. It's not. Like they they just keep making... The, what, what, they make Renard mopey. And I was as, I was as you were saying that and I was thinking about it, I was like, well, are they maybe trying to do something kind of different and a little like way more interesting here which is a bond villain with a a, like a disability or some sort of you know like typical henchman thing but like how that actually affects them mentally and i think that's actually a really interesting avenue to go down not in this film (laughs) it definitely does not have any plays in this film but if they want to get into the psyche of how that actually affects renard and he can't feel anything great like if you're going to do that devote to it but instead you just get like a little bit of it a very superficial level of it with him feeling mopey and you're right they do act like teenagers in this scene so i'm kind of with you i liked all the m stuff i just like seeing m more more judy dench <laughs> always always yeah. but yeah i could do without the bit on the bed yeah i agree but for me this was the last chance to have this work and it just didn't and i think you what you're saying there they are implying at about i think there might be some implication about because they did it all slept together, potentially him not feeling it. I, mm. I get that sense of that he's starting to not feel pleasure as well. It mm. just doesn't really come to the surface. And as you say, in this film, they, it just doesn't work. But but I agree with you. There, there's some really interesting ideas they could have gone down. But instead we have this like guy who can't feel pain and that's half-assed and is very poorly acted, very, very poorly acted. And then we have a lecture who is definitely not half asked. Um, well, like well, <laughs> some of it's covered, I guess. <laughs> covered ass, perhaps. <laughs> um, but, but they do take the time to develop this character and take you through the story of her. Like that's the one who they really spent time on. Great. Do do that. Uh, but the writing shops are not there. The acting is not there and it just kind of completely falls apart. And for me, that's what makes this film not very good. I can kind of take the other stuff and I think there's stuff to enjoy there. But when your core Bond girl villain and other villain sucks, that's to me, it's just like, okay, we're done here, boys. This, this mm, it's a this pretty big working. role. You, you kind of need that to work or at least some of that to work in a Bond film. Yeah, Yeah, and I would say for me, absolutely not and which is why i kind of say renard is like the worst villain because even with chrissy who and octopusy the ones who i that's the ones i kind of think of even then i don't think they were sunk because of their villains i think their villains could have been better 
But I don't think the reason why the films are bad, or for, for me anyway, the films aren't very good, is because of the villain. That's just more of a missing aspect. For me, these villains are at the center of this film and they suck. <laughs> so the film kind of sucks because of it. I love how you still call him Chrissy as well. Yeah, Chrissy. <laughs> it's Chrissy. That's what it's called. I'll make Chrissy, yeah. So we then cut to the Caspian Sea again. I want to say it actually comes up with a text for this. Uh, this is another one of those films where they do just put the text of where everyone is at all times, which kind of does hammer in the home of how much this film just jumps around locations all mm. the time. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it comes up Caspian Sea. It might say something else, but I don't remember. Um, also, I do want to say, because you mentioned how this is in Istanbul, and that always feels really weird to me because From Russia With Love is the Istanbul film which makes this, again, another really forgettable location because it's not from Russia with love. Yeah. Yeah, and there's actually a couple of locations. I think that when I've said about Mason's Tower, like that is in the background of, of From Russia with Love as well. So there is a bit of a crossover, but um, I don't think it uses the, the location as well as From Russia with Love, but yeah. Yeah, I guess my only point there really is like, of course you're not going to, but if you're not going to, then don't reuse the same location. Go somewhere else because it's always going to come up as forgettable because it's always going to be dwarfed by somewhere else. But minor I wonder, point, if, it, I I wonder if they wrote themselves into a corner with, maybe there are loads of pipelines. <laughs> I don't know. Probably. Maybe that's where like, that makes the most sense for the plot to go. Yeah. So we see a car driving up to the docks at, at night and we see Sikorsky get out of the car and he starts moaning about his caviar factory and Goldie is also there with uh, Sikorsky and Goldie sees... Bond's B&W, the one that we saw all the way back. And Goldie actually recognises it as Bond's BMW. So he calls up Electra and just says Bond's alive. And then Electra tells Renard. And they just now both know that Bond's alive. It's like, oh my god, what a waste. What a waste of a plot line. What was the point of any of that? If bloody Goldie is just going to spoil it like one scene later. (laughs) What a waste of my time. (laughs) <laughs> mm. i'm offended for i said my time because i'm offended for me no offense joe but i'm upset that's <laughs> I fine want my I, time back it was more just a, a goldie on screen was what i didn't like but yeah you're oh, right well, that <laughs> sucks as well but it's a double whammy goldie yeah goldie that sucks phoning electra and renard together in bed which sucks spoiling a plot line that goes nowhere which sucks it's just ah oh, oh, guys Oh, anyway, so uh, they enter into this room. It's like, it's a very odd, it's like these docks, but they have like these wooden buildings on as part of this dock. So uh, we see Christmas Jones is in there in a in a dress looking all sexy like. And I think she says something about one of the guards let her in and Valentine. I, I, I think Sikoski says, like, I must give him a raise. <laughs> something like that. Something uh, like that, yeah. But then Bond, being Bond, reveals himself behind the door, pointing a gun at one of the guards, and he tells the guard to go away. It's just kind of like some old man, some security guard. So it seemed a bit mean, but at least he got to escape. And uh, Bond then asks uh, Sikorsky, what's your business with Electra? What's going on there? And they start saying that she has a nuclear bomb. This is getting serious. There's a nuclear bomb. But I think Sikorsky is kind of denying it at this point, saying, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. But now... <laughs> Cue the dream-like sound effect. Oh, it's back again. <laughs> it's back again. Remember that helicopter that was cutting that trees for five seconds that one time? No. Well, it's back. Oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bond looks up at it. The dream sequence begins. He see, remembers it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. 
Um, so the helicopter with the saw blades hanging below it is now back and just cuts through the building. So Bond, this kicks off a big action sequence on these docks where Bond is shooting at the helicopter, he jumps out of the building, he runs across the dock. Um, I think there's actually two helicopters, although it's not super clear. Uh, but one of the, yeah, a missile is fired, it blows up the dock, so Bond starts running in a different direction. I'm going to go through this quite quick because this is all very bombastic, crazy, and there's a lot of helicopter with saw blades source through a part of the dock and Bond runs. And that's like 80% of it. So Bond run, is running away. Saws cut through some pipes. That caused that to explode. Uh, Bond is able to get to his car, which or near his car, which he then uses remote controls to drive towards him, which is, again, another confusing throwback because he doesn't use his phone. He just yeah. taps some stuff on his watch and then it comes towards him. But it's like, it's kind of like the last film, but it's not. It's not as good. So why, no. why have it again? <laughs> It's a bit of a waste of time, but uh, yeah, at this point, the Bond theme starts playing. Uh, Bond gets into his car, he starts backing it up, and he then taps something on the steering wheel, and in the middle of the steering wheel, it like starts flashing, and we see that there's a little like lock-on that appears in the middle of the steering wheel. So he hits a button after it's all locked on, and that fires a missile, and it blows up one of the helicopters. So yeah, so there was two helicopters, even though it's not really shot very well to give you that sense, in my opinion. Uh, but what Bond has done is blow up one of the he- helicopters, which was a very awkward scene as well. Because the helicopter just stat- like does nothing for like five minutes while Bond is just like, beep, boop, beep, boop, fire the missiles. Like it's, <laughs> There's like no pace to it. And yeah, it makes very it so really dumb. Yeah. Uh, so he's blown up one of the helicopters, but the other helicopter with the saw blades then shows up and cuts his car in half of Bond is able to jump out in time and he takes a look at the car and he says, Q's not going to like this, which I guess I'll give him a pass because it's Q's last film. But I always feel like the funny part with those lines and those moments is that it's implied and almost Bond saying it is like ruining the joke. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't need to be said. And in fact, the more that Bond doesn't have any reaction to the stuff he's destroying kind of makes more sense as to why Q is the way he is, though. So. Yeah, I like. I, I think it's a bit odd, especially because Bond knows Q's retiring as well. Very strange, but uh, yeah. So then, one of the saw blades just starts cutting the dock again. He runs away again. We see Doctor Jones is hiding, and we also see Goldie is hiding with a suitcase, which we assume has money in. It doesn't, uh, but I, I assumed it had money in. But yeah, he's holding onto this briefcase, all shaking. So a lot of men then drop from the helicopter and they start shooting at Bond. So he like gets a crowbar and like swings across a big wire across the gap and there's like some more explosions as all this is going off and Bond kind of lands and he's he's hurt which I'm assuming is the shoulder although I don't actually remember Um, but we see Sikorsky is getting in getting involved the the men that drop down he is actually shooting at them and getting involved in the fight so Bond is able to catch up to Sikorsky and Jones and shouts get out of here leave so they go and get into a car or go towards the car and the saw blazing out just soaring some more and this can't be right i've got in my notes that sakoski drives backwards and they just land in some water yeah yeah that happens i think that's the saw blades trying to soar at them so they just drive back and just land in water yep that's dumb uh so bond <laughs> kills the guards um and then the helicopter is 
my, my nose just turned to <laughs> Bond turns something and shoots it. <laughs> oh, like some gas. Yeah, so Bond eventually yeah. takes out the helicopter by there's a little gas valve, he turns it, he then gets away, he shoots a flare gun at it, that blows it up, and that encorps like uh engulfs the helicopter with the saw blades and this causes the saw blades to start firing everywhere, very CGI, so oh. They head towards Sikorsky, and he jumps into, I put oil pit, but it's not oil pit, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It is caviar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just quickly uh, uh, wrap this up so we can talk about this. Um, but he is in uh, the caviar pit trying to get out, and Bond starts asking him questions. What is in that pit? Saying, what do you know? But he's struggling to kind of swim and keep afloat, and he can't put himself out. And he says that his nephew was smuggling equipment for her, and Istanbul is where they're going to. Uh, and at this point, Goldie shows up saying, sorry, boss, I was busy. Uh, and there's a big old comedy creaking sound because I think Sikorsky is saying, oh, at least we have four walls because this building is still standing so that it collapses on its side. And then there's dub, there's voiceover of, the insurance company is never going to believe this. And uh, that's your intense action scene. Pretty good stuff. Good lord. <laughs> yeah, that that it, just a mess. I uh, actively dislike this this whole scene. Oh, okay. I don't I don't hate a lot of things. That's not true. But <laughs> but this <laughs> I, I really dislike everything about this uh this caviar factory scene. It's just so bad. Do you want me to go into it? Yeah, because <laughs> like, I will. Uh, we got okay. time. So the main thing that I dislike about this is, I mean, I, I groaned at the CGI saw blades. I can give that a pass, right? Whatever. It's with, apparently there's been helicopters as well, terrible. Fine. But I think my main gripe with this whole thing is it's so clearly on a set. It's, it's really dark. It's too dark, I would argue. I mean, it's meant to be nighttime. But where it's such a set-looking set... <laughs> there's i just don't buy any of it like the at one point the the saw helicopter like literally soars off the face of the building and then that that collapses down it's like yep that you can kind of see where they're like three two one and trigger and fall and everything when when zukovsky is reversing in the car and he uh like the the dock gives way it's like yep three two one and then trigger that to fall okay car goes down and obviously they do that in all of the bond action scenes right there's always that sort of stuff but I don't know, they just make it seem more real. And in this, nothing looked real to me. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't quite get that sense, um, but I, I totally see what you mean, how you're describing it. I didn't really hate this scene, but it is just kind of... It's kind of similar to what we said before with some of the other scenes, right, with the skiing, where this just feels so disconnected from anything, and it just feels like this really forced, messy scene where someone kind of had half an idea. So it just, here it is. <laughs> so they just fill the rest with just a lot of fast camera shots and Bond running. And it just kind of isn't really very satisfying or interesting. There's no, I think they're trying to carry on with the helicopter menace thing from the last film, but there's no, they're just on a dog running around. I guess that ties into what you're saying about the stage thing, because like, in Saigon, they were driving and there was a more of a sense of them moving around and escaping. Mm. This is just them going in circles for five yeah, minutes. That's it. Yeah. So I agree. It's not, not great. Okay. All right. Well, and we some move of the on? comedy as well is also pretty 
pretty weak. Yeah, what the whole dubbing at the end and the mm. yeah and Goldie and stuff and it's just yeah, there's just it just doesn't quite have that tension. It's got all the stuff you would think excitement, music, explosions, helicopters, but it just doesn't really come together as a cohesive, uh, interesting action piece. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Let's move on then. Because I don't want to talk about that scene anymore. (laughs) Uh, So we see uh, it cuts to Renard, who is out uh, on the kind of on the balcony of the Maiden's Tower, um, and it's nighttime or like kind of dusk, maybe not dusk. Sorry, yeah, dusk. (laughs) Uh, And he's watching a boat come in, uh, and I guess the boat is there to sort of. I don't know why the boat is there because it, it pans down and there's a submarine under it. Is is it meant to be that the boat is covering the submarine? It must be, but I I wasn't really that invested at this point. Yeah, <laughs> like I Renard don't... looking all moody from his house. I'm like, that's so silly. <laughs> it, maybe I was yeah, I was overthinking it. But yeah, we I do, think we... you're right. I think that is supposed to be it. That the sub is the real thing, being yeah. more stealthy. Yeah, um, and then the next morning we see that it's it's starting to like rise up and dock uh, i guess in the tower itself like underneath um, coming out of the water uh, and then we see zukovsky goldie i can say goldie uh, the character's name is actually mr bullion so there you go oh because of gold because <laughs> of gold yeah he loves uh, gold he loves gold <laughs> um zukovsky goldie i'm just gonna keep saying goldie uh christmas jones and bond and they are at have an ex-kgb Federal Security Bureau is how Zukovsky describes it as, um, like an ex-Intel place, but it's still being used as Intel. It's kind of what he says, and got loads of computers and maps and machinery and all these people working at them. And uh, they're trying to work out where this, um, where Zukovsky's nephew is with this sub uh, and like, where it could be docked, and they're looking on a map. And at this point, Bond asks what class the sub is, and Zukovsky says that it's a Victor Three, so it's a nuclear one. And from that, Bond and uh, Christmas work out Renard's plan, which is that they're planning to smuggle the plutonium on board, use the reactor on it, and cause a meltdown. And uh, Christmas is there very handily to explain that that would cause a catastrophic meltdown and wipe out all of Istanbul. And uh, they look at the map and realise that by doing that, Electra would have destroyed all of her competitors' pipelines as they all go through that area, and then they'd be forced to use hers as a sort of sole monopoly of the oil. So yeah, she just wants all the business, basically. She wants to redraw the, the map, I think she says later on, quite literally. Um, but yeah, then we see uh, Zukovsky's nephew. I wrote down his name here, apparently. It's Nikolai. Right, uh, being greeted by Renard down below where the, the sub docked and they're, they're loading the cargo on the sub that they're supposed to be um, taking into Istanbul for them. And Renard gives them some, some a nice gifts, uh, some, some brandy and uh, refreshments for them. They all enjoy. It's like a skeleton crew, so there's not many there. And go and enjoy some, uh, some brandy, guys. You know, relax. Um, <laughs> and Electra goes up to say good morning to M, And that's pretty much all she does here. Like She goes in, I guess, just to check on what she's up to. But all she does is come and say, good morning. And, and she goes to leave. Uh, but just before she does, M asks, oh, oh what, what time is it? So um, Electra picks up the fallen alarm clock and this time puts it right on the cell bar, so right up close to her and says it's time to die. 
Um, but yeah, now it's that close. Emma's uh, got the chance to take it apart and to start using the battery in it. So that was her plan all along, is to use the battery and reactivate the locator card from before. And she does it, it starts to beep, and it starts getting picked up back at that uh, bureau where Sukovsky and Bond are. And they, uh, they work out from the GPS coordinates that they're at Maiden's Tower. And yeah, so... it was very strange when uh, Electra says, it's time for you to die. And then M looks at the camera and says, there's no time to die. I thought that was <laughs> odd. They really set that up quite early on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fourth wall breaks are an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah, they did acquire a bit of a... No, <laughs> honestly, whenever someone says, like, time to die and stuff, that I straight away now I think no time to die. Like, yeah. That's, that's what pops into my head. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I just thought it was very nice that Electra just comes in to say good morning, and that's that's all. <laughs> Hiya! <laughs> is breakfast? Is there any breakfast in this cell? No. Well, um, I think this is where I kind of, not to harp on the point of it, but this is where, like, the M stuff falls down a little bit. There should have been something more here rather than being like, ah, you're in a cage. Oh, you want your dumb clock? Here you go. You're going to die. Goodbye. <laughs> like there, there's like this implied history and connection between the two. And it just goes in the bin as soon as M gets kind of captured. So this should have been a little bit more, I guess, for the sake of time. I guess I'm glad it's not too in depth, but this kind of shows the film's kind of lack of having these elements work. Like this should have been more than just you're going to die. Here's a clock. Goodbye. Yeah, I really thought it was going to be. And then she just leaves. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> back in the Bureau. So they've worked out that M's in the Maiden's Tower. Uh, so that's probably where Electra is as well. Uh, and then Zukovsky uh, goes to, like, he calls for Goldie, who is like strangely just like walking off camera. Um, and you see that his, his gold briefcase that Tom pointed out is not full of uh, bullions, as the name would imply. It's a bomb. It's a bomb. And Bond spots oh, that. And, jumps out the way with Christmas just in time as it explodes, and you do get the shot of Zukovsky seemingly dead on the floor, collapsed. Oh no. So sad. <laughs> it was a bit... I was a bit sad. I was like, you can't do that. They didn't, but I they was didn't. a bit like, no! How dare <laughs> you? Yeah. I was a bit sad. I think maybe the first time I saw this, I was like, I, I probably felt that way, Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, the two Bond and, and Christmas they tried to leave, but they're like immediately captured outside by Goldie and the other henchmen. And uh, I wrote in my notes here, God, I really don't like Goldie in this film. <laughs> I don't know he what he is says. just bad. Like he does have a really <laughs> unique kind of look and presence to him, but he's so he's just awful. Like I don't want to go into it too much. I think it's because he does this weird sort of snarl snarl here as well, and it just annoyed me. Yeah, <laughs> terrible, just, terrible. He's such a small pie. It's, it's not the end of the world, but it's, uh, yeah, bad. It's bad. Back on the sub, uh, we see that all the crew are now poisoned from Renard's lovely, not so lovely gifts. Uh, all the brandy and stuff is poisoned. So uh, Renard tells him to go throw all the bodies out to the sea. And then his own men are in the sub and they start setting up the plutonium. And there's all this stuff that they have to do, like planting the plutonium in the rod. So they're, working on all these machines and that sort of stuff's going on in the background as Bond and Christmas are brought to see Electra in Maiden's Tower. Even, um, I've said Renard is so lame, so I, I don't want to say too much more, but even that stuff was lame with the dinner. 
just go shoot them. What are you doing? (laughs) The man who feels nothing, who doesn't care to die, who feels no pain. Oh, here's a lovely little, uh, here's a lovely brisket. Oh, everyone have a bit. There you go. Oh, yeah. Just go shoot them. (laughs) So lame. I love how angry, I love how much you dislike Renard. This is actually making the film more entertaining for me. (laughs) It's just like, I kind of get it. I think it's meant to be like a little bit of a Blofeld thing where it's a bit silly, but kind of intimidating. But it's such a nothing plot point that I feel like you could have built this guy up more to be more sinister if he just went and shot them. Like that Mm. would have been more interesting. And I think you're meant to feel it with all these corpses inside the sub that's been poisoned. But it's just, oh, it's just so naff. It is naff. Oh, yeah. I just didn't need it. Like he just doesn't sell this at all. There's just no charisma. I guess that's the problem. Like you need a charismatic villain to sell. Oh, I'm being nice with all this food, but actually I'm being evil. And he's just not that at all. So, yeah, another case of Renard is lame. It's just a nasty terrorist, so he can't really be very charismatic as that. I suppose in this film, anyway. Um, but yeah, uh, Bond and Christmas are taken to Electra, um, and I. I point that out only because you see the boat that they come from and the boat is called seven heaven then if you caught that but... <laughs> i didn't get that no yeah it's called seven heaven um we Double see El- seven heaven i know seven. it's missing the zeros uh we see electra outside the submarine kind of underground ish uh, electra goes to say goodbye to renard he comes and and uh, they have a final kiss together and renard says the future is hers and yeah it doesn't really seem that sad to see him go which you know, that's kind of like the mode she's in now is just pure evil but yeah he's off to go do the 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 plan and and she leaves uh, i'm sure you don't have nothing good to say about this scene either oh it's naff but it's short it's naff. it is it's very short um back up at the uh the tower with bond so bond and christmas are there i think she tells her goons to go send christmas down to renard in the sub and this is now i think this is a scene that a lot of people now think of when they think of this film because uh, it's Bond is there, he's being restrained by some other henchmen, and uh, she says to Bond, you know, I could have given you the world, to which he replies, the world is not enough. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> and, and she goes, oh, foolish sentiment, and he replies saying, ugh, family motto. And, you know, as far Yay. as... Yeah, as far as getting the film's title in there, I think that's actually a pretty good way of doing it. Like, he's he kind of points out that it's kind of silly. Like, he's almost a bit embarrassed of it. It's like a... Family motto, yeah, you know, what can you do sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, the family uh, motto nod saves it, but even in terms of this film, it makes no goddamn sense. What are you talking about? The world is not enough. What are you talking about, Electra? You could have given him the world. Like, none of that's true. None of that ties into it. It doesn't really make sense that Bond would say it's it's really false. So I like that they reference it's the family motto because, uh, just a reminder for people, this comes from Bond's family crest. Um, and the motto in Latin, or the translated version, is the world is not enough. Um, mm. Something they explicitly say all the way back in on a Majesty's Secret Service. So this is tying that back in. But in my head, I always remember Electra saying it. Because I feel like that would make more sense in terms of what this film is about. It makes yeah. no sense that Bond would say it. But of course, it's Bond's family motto, so he has to say it. And it makes it all very confused. But... You know, again, the family motto thing is enough for me to kind of like it, but it's it's a pretty bad line and just doesn't it doesn't match the rest of the film in the slightest. Yeah, yes, yeah, you're true. It is that is true. I suppose they just 
saw that line, I thought, well, that's going to be the film title now, so we need to get it in there. Yeah. Um, uh, Electra then reveals behind or underneath the cloth, there's this big old torture chair, um, which Bond gets strapped into by by the henchman. So like his his arms and legs are put in, or maybe just his arms actually. No, probably his legs as well. Thinking about it, uh, they're all kind of latched in place, and a neck um, latch is put around as well. So he's strapped in there, and she says that uh, it's got a big wheel on the back as well. And if she turns the wheel. Five times, his neck will break because every time she turns it, there's this little metal rod that pushes further into the back of his neck. Um, and so she starts doing it, like kind of taunting him as she's doing it. And I've got to say, like, Pierce Brosnan really has not had it great in terms of some of the faces he's had to pull in these <laughs> in these films because no. he's really gurning. And he, I mean, he's selling it, right? He's getting choked and, and uh, his neck is breaking. But, like, he looks so, so... Silly, <laughs> sometimes. I, I, I'm not saying this in a bad way. I don't think it's a negative. I just think it's just funny. Like he's just there going away as she's uh, giving all this spiel about the world, and he's just there struggling. I thought it's quite funny. Yeah, they uh, just didn't do that so much with the other Bond ones. They didn't actually put him or put them in like physical pain or suggested physical pain. But Pierce is just like, nope, you're having a you're yeah. having a metal rod like snap your neck, so you need to try and sell that. The other ones, they were just like, just put him on the thing and just shake the table and oh Sean will God. sweat and that'll work. It was fine. Um, they just oh. don't actually have them be tortured. There's just more of an implication of it. But this is like a lot more direct. So yeah, as you say, Piers, poor Piers has to grimace and look quite uh, pained. I forgot about the shaking table. <laughs> oh yeah. How could I? Uh, so yeah, as, as she's doing this and turning the wheel, she's sort of revealing how she's always had a power over men. And um, this is when we learn that actually, uh, well, I think Bond figures it out as well, but that when she was kidnapped, um, it wasn't actually Stockholm Syndrome. It was her was the one that actually turned Renard. She was the one that manipulated him rather than the other way around, as uh, Bond predicted earlier and the audience would have predicted earlier. It was spelled out to him. So, yeah, um, and she even, like, cut her own ear off to make it all look real because Renard wouldn't do it. So pretty crazy. And uh, she killed her father uh, because of what happened to her in the kidnapping and how, again, some of the family stuff about it's, the oil belongs to her and her mother's side. And she, this is where she says that she wants to redraw the map and that everyone will believe her when her plan succeeds because she's going to make it look like an accident sort of thing. Um, and yeah, as she keeps on turning the the wheel on the back of the chair... Bond gets in one one final little quip as uh I can't remember what she says but but he says uh, that she meant nothing to him one last screw he says yeah <laughs> uh just reading that out it's like yeah but uh you got you got a picture of him saying that just as like you know his his face is so red <laughs> and oh man um but honestly, I do think, as I say, I think this is one of the films that people do remember most of this film. And I do think it is a good scene. I think it is an interesting setup getting him in a, a torture chair. It's a you know, bit kind of uh, before Casino Royale um, with this sort of setup. And um, I do think that this is where, where Electra is allowed to just be crazy and just kind of go proper villain mode. I think she is the most fun and interesting. And I think, I mean, less so now having discussed it with you, but I, I kind of wrote down here that I do like how you did see both sides of her. So from that first moment where she's, well, 
from that moment where she's in the ball having a panic attack and now she's here like complete 180 of power shift with her and bond in the chair i really really like it i just think now having discussed it with you in this podcast <laughs> actually some of the previous bits weren't as strong as maybe i was hoping they were or remembered them to be no i mean i guess i could see someone liking this scene individually i still think there's that kind of teenage bit going on like when she shows off her ear she's more like excited about it which i didn't like again maybe this is just more my preference that i would have liked that cold and calculated um because it's quite a shocking image and i think it actually works quite well uh her showing off this ear because all her earlobe is just completely burnt off and destroyed i don't really like the idea of her turning renard but it's mostly because not because of the concept, but because of how it's sold in the rest of the film. It's like, I don't buy that. Mm. Um, I, I kind of buy her being in charge, but then it kind of retroactive. Like, you're you're doing too many switches, guys. Like, she's acting one way, and then it's like, she's supposed to be just like the daughter of King and stuff and trying to do her best. And, oh, she didn't destroy that church. What a saint. Uh, and then it's like, no, she is evil, but does have Stockholm Syndrome. But then it's like, no, she doesn't have Stockholm Syndrome and turned Renard. So Renard isn't as evil, or is he? It's just like a bit too messy. And this doesn't feel like unraveling her web. This just feels like a, a tangled mess. And I just didn't quite buy it. But I agree with you. The setup's solid. Um, and a lot of this stuff does have a lot of potential and some of this stuff does work. Um, but I just... Like, even... Uh, she says, like, oh, you no one can resist me she's like going hard on that angle which i just don't think it works I, I i just don't like it so yeah you're right it's a solid setup between her like making a bond girl the villain and having a torture bit with bond but i just i, I guess i'm running out of energy at this point because i just don't <laughs> think it's i still don't think it's very good but i no, agree messy, the concept could be good yeah messy is a good way of putting it they like they didn't they had the idea for that character but i think they didn't weave it as well as they could into the story no in a nice way yeah <laughs> um so at this point we hear some shooting going on outside some sort of commotion so we then see sakoski get off a boat Yay! yeah sakoski's okay everyone he's got a little cut but he's fine um so he shoots some people with some of his guys and he bursts into the room and he sees old Goldie, and Goldie like acts the fool, being like, "Oh, they forced me. I'm so glad to see you." And he just shoots him, which is like, "Yay, <laughs> yay, Sakarski, <laughs> <laughs> Sakarski, <laughs> give him the chair." <laughs> uh, and then he like breaks into the room where Bond and Electra are, and he sees the the captain's hat from the sub captain, and so I, I guess we didn't touch upon this, but it's so dumb actually thinking about it so the captain was his nephew and renard poisoned him took the hat because of course he did and then when he was talking to electra outside the sub and they were going away gives her the hat and then she keeps the hat happens to put it in the room where bond is being captured where Sikorsky breaks in, so Sikorsky can see the hat and saying, you killed my nephew. Well, when you put it like that... <laughs> <laughs> when you explain it... Yeah. What a terrible plot device. <laughs> it's so forced. 
Oh, I didn't. I didn't really think about the hat very much. Oh, because it's yeah. odd that he does mess. Renard messes around with the hat, but I thought that was them trying to add in a little bit of humor and comedy. But no, no, no. It's pure blunt storytelling. That is just enough so Sikorsky knows. Oh, you killed my nephew and gets mad. Right. Of course. Yeah. <sighs> no, you're right. So yeah. So he's all mad. So he's he's got he's about to shoot her. I think or he's thinking about it. Uh, but she like takes the captain's hat and I think she's like taunting him a little bit. But as she's talking, she shoots a gun from behind the hat and that goes into Sikorsky and he goes down. Um, but straight away we see he's not quite dead yet because he's still moving. Like Bond noticed straight away he's moving and he gets his cane. So throughout this film, he's had this cane, uh, which is, again, I think quite nice a little thing to his character because Bond gave him a limp in the last film. I'm not sure if he used a cane in the last film, but I like that he uses a cane in this one because of that mm. limp that Bond gave him. Yeah. Um, so that's actually a gun. So as he's lying on the floor dying, he aims it at Electra, but then slowly goes across and aims it at Bond and he aims it and then he fires and that hits one of the, the chains that on Bond's hand and breaks it and then he dies i don't think he says anything does he no i think he just gives a little smile to bond yeah just a little smile because he's helped him out but electra doesn't see that and electra's just saying oh he must have really hated you (laughs) idiot (laughs) 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 what a stupid thing to say oh i can picture you saying that during like watching it as well idiot (laughs) boo (laughs) rubbish (laughs) uh so yeah, so Bond then frees himself, grabs the gun. I think the guard that was always around Electra storms in, like someone who we saw a lot but never speaks, or I don't even know has a name, comes mm. in and Bond just shoots him. So, bye. Great stuff. Um, but that gives Electra enough a chance to run away. And she starts running up the stairs of the tower. So Bond starts chasing. And she starts, she shouts down, You can't kill me, not in cold blood. Echoes down. Um, so as Bond hears, after Bond hears that, he also hears like someone go Bond, Bond, <laughs> Bond, <laughs> and it's M in the cell. So uh, yeah, Bond just goes in the room, shoots the lock, and leaves. Which I thought again, ten out of ten stuff. That's yeah. exactly how I want him to do it. Yeah, no moment, just bag, you're free, bye. <laughs> but not even the bye, just gone. Yeah. Um, so he keeps running and catches up to Electra. Uh, and they get to the top of the tower where the bedroom is. I think, yeah, it has to be a bedroom. And he says, order, you know, stop this. Uh, orders her to call it off. Call Renard and shut this all down and makes this done and starts shooting at her. And Bond is, yeah, is shouting. And then she starts saying, oh, yeah, because there's a little walkie-talkie that he's trying to get her to speak into to tell Renard to not go ahead with the plan. And she's all like, you won't kill me. You'll miss me too much or something like that. And eventually she's all taunting. She goes to say something to Renard, which is clearly not calling it off. So Bond shoots her. And she falls very dramatically on the bed. And at this point, M catches up and sees Bond stroking her head. And yeah, she's dead. That's that. And again, it's it just, I, I won't repeat what I've already said about the teenager stuff. This just hammers that home the way she acts. It's so stupid. It's just terrible. Uh, but the thing that I don't really get is that I thought they were setting up for M to shoot her rather than Bond. Oh, that would have been good. 
I feel like that would have made way more sense. It's just a shame they kind of put the M stuff, the personal connection to the side. But I much prefer the idea that maybe Bond actually can't shoot her and actually can't let go of his past with all the stuff they've connected with his dead wife. Maybe he actually can't kill one more woman because it all brings back these memories and attachment issues. And he did really care. But M having Bond back and also being quite cold and also having a personal connection to her and sees she's a psycho shoots her for Bond and resolves that instead. That, to me, would have made ten times more sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, they, just weren't, they just weren't at that stage yet, were they, with him? And, no. and they weren't really at that stage in terms of like getting that in-depth with the characters, to be honest with you, which is a shame because you're right, that would, have been, that would have been a far better ending to this character. Yeah, because this is just kind of nothing. Bond just does shoot her, gives her a little stroke on the head and then leaves, and that's that. <laughs> we're done. And the thing that I know this shouldn't annoy me because, you know, these are, well, I say kids films, you know, they're meant to be for a lot of ages. But I just I did find that there's just absolutely no like zero blood or anything. It honestly just doesn't even look like she's been shot. I'm no. not saying they needed to drown the place in blood afterwards and make it all gory. But it was just so nothing. There's nothing there. It's like there's you wouldn't even have been able to tell. So uh, that annoyed me. Well, there's a reason why villains usually get like a more over-the-top death so you feel it more without the gore yeah but just shooting someone is just lame like push her out the tower i don't know (laughs) (laughs) something (laughs) oh you've got some good ideas for the end of this film very very different robbie tackles her out the window (laughs) that's how he should have ended slaps her one more time yeah (laughs) But you know she's the villain, and they just didn't give her a very good death. So it's enough. It's a a bullet to the head, you could say, uh, for this character. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, so Bond gets over that very quickly. Uh, looks out the window and sees the sub. Sees the sub is, I think it's moving, or maybe it's just waiting there. So he climbs up on the ledge. I don't think he even talks to M. I think he just straight away is just like, gotta go, and just yeah. jumps out the window. <laughs> yeah, no time uh, to waste. No, no time. Um, so he climbs up on the ledge and he sees that there's a little bit of water he can dive into. So he, he dives in. We get some pretty bad green screen here of Bond diving. Doesn't look very good. Hmm. Um, so the siren's all going off saying the sub is going down. So Bond climbs on top of the sub and at the very last second he gets into the hatch and he knocks the man out who was closing the hatch and then he points at a gun at somebody who's smoking, which I thought this was quite interesting about the film. And we probably don't have time to discuss it, but... Again, this is the one that really highlights that Bond does not smoke because he was giving a cigar before, doesn't smoke it, then tries to give it to Moneypenny, she throws it in the bin, and now we have another scene for the third film in the row where he threatens someone who is smoking. Like, they really hammer it home with these Piers Brosnan films. Smoking's bad. Yeah, they really wanted to push that. Yeah, so it's... yeah. Don't have time to talk about it too much, but yeah. Ask where the girl is. Because... Among all this, of course, Christmas Jones was captured at the same time as Bond. Mm-hmm. You'd be forgiven for forgetting. Um, so Bond is actually now on the sub trying to rescue her. So we go to Renard very quickly and we see him like setting up or watching a load of people set the bomb up and all that sort of stuff. So we then go back to Bond who just frees Jones. It was oh, there you are. <laughs> just, <laughs> and just frees her. Um, and then more shots of Renard setting up the bomb and now we're seeing Bond and Jones like sneaking throughout the sub and Bond says if we force them to surface 
if we can get the submarine to service, then the Navy will come, see it, and then the day will be saved. So Bond enters like the big, I think it's the big control room for the submarine, um, and grabs a guard, and then he forces everybody into a corner. He's got this gun, he's pointing at them, so go in the corner, go in the corner. And then he like pulls on one of the levers to force it to start to service. And because it's now going upwards, the alarm starts going off, and Renard hears this and starts running. He enters the room, he starts shooting at Bond, and Bond uses the guard as a human shield. Bond then shoots the controls to break them, and this causes the sub to then start tilting at an angle. So it's now tilting, or starting to tilt downwards, and starts to fall down. So Bond realises this is what is happening, so he sets up like a safety net for himself, like quite literally, um, and everyone else is just slowly kind of going to the side as this whole thing is tilting, because the idea is that it's going to tilt at 90 degrees, so the corridor, which normally is horizontal, is now going to be vertical. So Bond is on this, and we see a man also, like, falls as the thing is tilting, and that turns on a propeller, which causes the submarine to go directly downwards and crash into the, the sea floor. So uh, Dr. Jones falls down, falls into Bond on the net. We see Renard is starting to climb up, so he's still heading towards the reactor, and because they've crashed into the seabed, a lot of water starts rushing in to the sub. So Bond and Jones are now climbing up. Renard is now climbing up with the plutonium to start setting up the bomb. And Jones notices that, or somehow knows, I, I'm not too sure how that, Renard has locked himself into the reactor. The reactor is now completely sealed off so Renard can do out his plan. So Bond suggests that he's going to swim out is going to, because they can't go directly in. So instead he's going to leave the sub, swim along, and then enter a hatch that will get him into a reactor. And explains to Jones that you need to press this button. You see this big button here? When this light changes, that means I'm in, I think it's the pressure uh, vault, pressure chamber. Yeah. Like the one that drains all the water. So he's going into one, He's going to drain... Well, that's going to fill up so he can then swim out. He's then going to go into the other pressure chamber in the other hatch. And when he does that, the light's going to change and she needs to press the button. So we then kind of get a scene of Bond swimming out and we see him swimming out on the sub. But Jones is waiting in the room and she's waiting for the button. But that is also flooding. So she kind of swims down to look at the button. It's not ready yet. She swims back up. Bond is then swimming. He gets into the chamber and... As soon as Jones is just about to hit the button because he see, she sees the, the light change, there's some sort of explosion which like pushes her away and Bond is just waiting, like, I'm drowning. <laughs> and so Help me. Jones just tries again and just hits the button and at the last minute the chamber starts draining so Bond is, uh, Bond is saved. Ooh. There's a, uh, we always get to this point where there's always like an extra thing to do after, I mean, usually it's, I guess if you do see Renard as the henchman of this film instead, rather than the co-villain, then like, this is that bit of the film, um, kind of, like where the main villain's been taken out of. Uh, but it's always like these things have to happen quickly because they are near the end. And it is like, I mean, as you were describing that, there were some bits I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> as you were describing it, it's just, it happens so quickly. The main thing I got out of this bit is that I just liked, I like the idea that the submarine is tilting, so everything's at a weird angle. Mm. Kind of a bit different, I suppose. Yeah, it's quite small scale for a Bond ending, especially when you look at like Tomorrow Never Dies and stuff. It's pretty small scale, but I actually think it quite works as a small scale set. 
as you say, it's quite simple. It's just a submarine that's been tilted, but that gives it a whole different kind of feel and angle and seeing people kind of climb up. I'm not a massive fan of it because of all the water stuff. And, uh, well, I don't really like water in general. So the diving stuff I can handle because everyone's all masked up and stuff. But this where it's like, they don't have any oxygen tanks. They're just swimming and almost drowning. That to me makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I don't Mm. like water in real life but i think the visual of the submarine is strong enough and i think it does create a unique space inside the sub so it it's small scale but i think actually pretty effective for being small scale yeah i'd agree with that um so yeah bond uh jones has pushed the button so bond is able to uh get into the room where renard is and like you know breathe <laughs> so because of the way that the submarine is is tipped bond is basically right above renard as he's putting in the the plutonium rods into this big sort of uh interface of all of the tubes in it and so yeah he starts putting it in and you you see these shots of some dials they start going up some some water starts bubbling oh no bad stuff's happening clearly um so bond just kind of like jumps down on top of renard to stop him and knocks the rod out of his hands and they start to fight, and he starts to try and like strangle him or break his neck. Even I don't know what he's doing, but um, before he can carry on with that, he does spot uh, Jones is still trapped and she's drowning. Um, I would say underneath, but like all the angles are funny, so like you know she's at a door, <laughs> and um, so he has to stop and go and open the hatch for her. Um, and so she comes in, she's soaking, and she's like almost nearly died. But she just has time for some very uh, awkward uh, last minute exposition here where in her scientist role, she has to kind of clumsily point out basically for the audience, you know, if Renard gets that rod all the way in to the reactor, that's it. (laughs) Like, okay, thanks. We kind of gathered that by now. But uh, it's just so, so clumsily put in this last section. Just get on with it by this point. See, Renard has woken up from or like recovered from Bond knocking him out. Uh, and again puts the rod back in it's very much like a stop start stop start with this um so they carry on fighting for a bit and uh again the the rod falls to the floor um renard starts to strangle bond and uh this is where bond reveals that again i can't remember the exact dialogue but bond reveals that electra's dead which causes renard to like lose his temper and and go crazy and start kicking Bond, calling him a liar. And this is the thing I mentioned way back earlier about how this character is meant to feel no pain and be almost superhuman with elements. Um, like he can, like the doctor was saying, he can push himself harder, faster, smarter. And you're just getting two blokes fly, like fighting each other here. There's nothing interesting about this stuff. I know we're right at the end of the film. I can't expect too much, but there is nothing interesting about this character right now at all. He's just a man. Yeah, no payoff to this whole no pain thing in the slightest. No. <laughs> it's like, what happened? Why? He, he's reacting the same way that any other goon would to Bond's kicks and punches. And in, they're not even doing the typical gag they would do where like Bond punches him in the stomach and there's no reaction. Even the guy from the bloody newspaper factory got that and he's not. <laughs> he hasn't got a bullet in his brain. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if you noticed this, but I something went really wrong with the sound design in this one. Because all the impact sounds of the punches and kicks are just incredibly weak 
Are they? I, I didn't like the that. like when he was kicking Bond. It's supposed to be a really big kick because he's mad, and it also knocks Bond down, and he can't get up for a bit. He's mm. like winded, but the kicks are just like like <laughs> something really went wrong. <laughs> because oh, no. it sounds really bad like it sounds like they just weren't mixed loud enough so all the sounds just don't work at all they just got tired by this point of the film yeah that would it's be fair. It's fair. <laughs> but you're right yeah he does kick bond down to the floor um which gives again some more time for him to put the rod back in again and it's getting very very close you see in the dial it's almost about to go critical um but bond whilst he's on the floor he spots like, this pressure hose that comes loose from somewhere and works out that if he puts it in another spot or maybe it's the same spot i don't know pushes a button somewhere on the panel it like reverses the pressure from this thing that renard's putting the rod into and so he does that and it causes the rod to backfire out of this thing and impale renard right through the chest and that's how he's dealt with and the line uh um impale i don't know what is it oh uh just before he fires it he says she's waiting for you oh okay and that's the line oh okay i thought <laughs> I, was, I was trying to go far too stupid with it um, <laughs> i did think it'd be a bit strange if he said a proper quip there but uh yeah so renard's dealt with christmas and bond they make their escape uh I think there's a little bit more clumsy dialogue from Christmas. She's like, oh, the sub will now be safe, even if it blows up sort of thing. Um, because they, the two shoot themselves outside or out of the torpedo shoot. And yeah, then you guessed it, the sub explodes, but they're fine. And, uh... <laughs> I love how casually you said that. So yeah, so they fired themselves like torpedoes. It's like, I kind of like the visual because it's so stupid, but yeah, it's literally them it's holding them... on to each other, being shot out like a missile. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the first time I've seen something like that as well, though, as well. I guess that's why it's just not very interesting to me now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the sub explodes, and then we're suddenly back in Scotland, uh, back in the MI6 headquarters. So I do um, just want to go back on the run oh, fire a bit. Yeah, yeah. sorry, we it, probably should. It isn't very good. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think the setting's really cool like the upside down or the the tilted sub and having them climb up like that is something that really stuck with me when i think of this film i actually do think of this scene because i do love this idea of like bond and renard climbing up and punching each other as they climb it's just so incredibly lame like a lot of stuff with renard as you say there's no payoff to any of the stuff that his character was set up the golden rod stuff is just ridiculous there's no real connection to his character to his death the closest you get is like, oh, the rod he was trying to put in kills him. But it's like, who cares? Um, and it, it did make me think about how Sanchez's death was so good because it ties into everything the film was going for and mm. its narrative payoff for everything that happens. This is just like, just shoot a gold rod into him, I guess. Who cares? Like, it's just so nothing. They can't even give him a decent death. That's how bad of a villain he is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as I was explaining it, it really is just like, okay, there's suddenly there's this pipe now and that will do this. I almost expected Christmas to jump out and say, Bond, if you put the hose back in there and press that button, <laughs> it will shoot the rod back out. <laughs> but no, so that's the bit they don't explain. Um, yeah, I didn't like it either. I didn't like it. I just think, lame. I love that. It is lame. It is lame. Um, okay, so anyway, yeah, back at uh, MI6 headquarters in Scotland, M is there with everyone, Tanner and... 
and Q and or R, I suppose. Um, she's asking for if there's been any word from Bond. Um, and we see him and and Christmas sitting on a balcony. They're all dressed up. He's in his tux and she's in a fancy dress and fireworks going off in the background. He says that he's always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey. Oi, oi. Um, <laughs> and they start kissing. And then back in Scotland, R is trying to find Bond on a satellite because they spot the car there. So they know he must be in this general area and they start zooming in and they have this like infrared, or not infrared, but like heat signature filter active and they can see uh, the two bodies near the car and it's like, oh, they're they're getting redder. Or M's like, oh my, what's going on? And uh, R just like quickly presses escape and shuts the laptop and says it must be some form of the millennium bug. Um, and we we see... Oh, we see Bond and Christmas back in bed together with Bond closing the film with the line, I thought Christmas only comes once a year. What the, what the hell was that? It <laughs> <laughs> then just fades and then James Bond will return. It's like, what? That's... Oh, uh, my, some, oh my God, that was bad. It, well, they were trying to do like the old-fashioned thing with Roger Moore sort of... Yeah. Because they haven't really done that yet with Pierce Brosnan. They've just done like the usual... They're just like, like, yeah, they just kissed and that's kind of been it. But no, they've gone back to that style and it's like, oh, I don't know if that... Do we need that in the 90s now? I don't know. I don't mind the attempt, but yeah, we got really sick of that. <laughs> yeah. So if you're going to do it, do it right. This just feels like they're just doing it. But I do have to kind of say, I don't know if you noticed this, the scene where Bond is in the tux and she's in the dress and they're having a drink, it looks so fake. Yeah, it does. Like, it reminded me of that Great Gatsby meme, the one with Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> tilting with the fireworks yeah. in the background, because it looks exactly the same. I'm like, oh my god, how was this shot and left in the film? They're so clearly not there. Where did that budget go? I don't know. <laughs> Honestly. But it's like that Great Gatsby meme is great because it's meant to look fake and exaggerated, but seeing it here, I'm like, oh, oh dear. Hmm. There's an, one other thing I want to point out as well, just because I didn't mention it earlier, and I just feel like it's such a nice little Easter egg. Uh, way back, like, pretty much at the beginning of the film, in the MI6 Scottish headquarters, and it's actually the thing when you're asking about why is Electra's phone call on two two screens when she calls up to M, and I said, oh, it's probably a shield in the middle. I actually went back and looked quickly. It's a portrait of Bernard Lee, so it's the, one of the previous M's. Oh, I just like that they, yeah, they they had a little. A little uh, tribute to the old M in there. Oh, that's actually really nice. I like yeah. that. Yeah, and you see it loads of times, actually. Like, whenever they're in that, that castle um, location, it's usually in the background. Oh, that's cool. Um, so I do want to make one last point as well, because I never really talked about Christmas Jones. I actually think she's fine. Um, Electra bothered me way more, but that's because she's a core part of the film. But to me, Christmas Jones is just that side Bond girl. And I think she's totally fine. You're right, some of the dialogue is a bit clumsy, but it's so overblown that she's the problem with this film. It's she's like, really no, not. There are bigger issues. No, 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 no. I actually think she's okay, and I think there's a lot worse Bond girls than this. It's very exaggerated, um, the criticism against her. Um, so I actually thought she was okay. Not great, but okay. Yeah, I have moaned about the dialogue a little bit, but you're right, she's not the worst Bond film by far. Uh, Bond film, Bond girl, sorry, but uh, by far, um, she's not really even in it that much, to be honest with you. Like, not enough to really affect the film negatively. There are bigger issues, as you say. So, 
And also, I just think maybe maybe the issue is like, I don't know. It's interesting because like there are two Bond girls. Well, there's there's always more than than one Bond girl, but you know, Electra is the other Bond girl in this film. So I guess like she is stealing a lot of the limelight as well. I'm not saying that they would have written her Christmas Jones any better, maybe if the, Electra wasn't in this film. But I can I can see why. Like this this is not the film to complain about Bond girls. There are just so many other worse ones. Yeah, definitely. Like she was, she did what she was supposed to do, which was be that secondary kind of like middle of the road Bond girl. Yeah. Who gives you some plot from time to time. <laughs> yeah. Very, very, very ham fisted, but she does. And that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. the end of the film. And, and I will quickly say as well, um, there is no different strange sounding song. It is just a Bond theme over the oh, credits. Oh, finally. <laughs> which is just what you want. Just play the Bond theme for goodness sake. Simple, easy. Yeah, works so much better. It really does. Well, this is your turn to go. You do odd numbers, uh, so you go first. Boy, yeah, oh, odd, yes, okay. Um, well, if you haven't guessed, I'm not a big fan of this film. Oh. Uh, I'm going to very quickly say the things I didn't mind slash light. So, yeah, the pre-title, uh, yeah, the pre-title sequence and the boat chase, I like that nostalgic element to that. I like the music for that. We've discussed enough that we like the idea of Electra, um, and I, I do actually still quite like the torture scene with her and Bond, and I think they did Q's departure very, very, very well. Um, pretty much everything I didn't really like. It, I found most of the, the stunts and scenes, like action scenes, very boring. Ski chase, boring for me. Mine, pretty boring. Caviar scene, boring and phony. And the Renard stuff, also boring. Just, as I said before, something weirdly bland about this film. It has all the elements that should make it work, but for me, just very, very little of it actually did. Um, And the thing is, is I I was reading a few articles about this film and how a lot of people say that this has so many links to Skyfall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and how you you can pretty much like draw some lines between the plot points and even like visuals as well. And it's like, well... Yeah, okay. That's probably you're right. Like when I was reading, I was like, "That's definitely true." But then that just made me think, "Man, Skyfall did it so much better." <laughs> like they do do some of these things really well. Eventually, they do get M involved in the plot and have a personal connection far better in that film, uh, and with a better payoff as well. They, there's just so many things. Bond having an injury. I mean, they didn't do it terribly in this film, but they have it better in that film. There's just yeah, it's like it set the foundation for a lot of good things in a Bond film, but it just took quite a few years later for it to really work with a different director. Oh, right. And I guess I should rank it, shouldn't I? Um, Yeah, maybe (laughs) throw it in there. I forgot about that bit. So um, this was going to go low down. It was just a question of how low, how low can you go? I think I preferred it more than Limit Let Die still. I think it has just even like just a cubit. I still think brings it up. (laughs) And I think I liked it more than Octopussy because I just think back to Octopussy and just the mess that there is. However, I, I can't in any good reason put this above Goldfinger. So this is going at 17 on my list. Between, I'm not surprised. Yeah, so below Goldfinger and above Octopussy. Yeah, you have put yourself in the position where you've put, like, on a Majesty's Secret Service and Goldfinger quite low, which is fair enough. It's your list. That's they have to be really it. bad now. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah you have to... Yeah, you have to... to to be worse than Goldfinger, like there's still some great stuff about that film. So, 
Yeah, and, and to be fair, like I look at all the ones above it and I'm like, yeah, I would rather watch those than The World Is Not Enough. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I can understand. Yeah. Um, so for me, this all comes down to Electra and Renard, where they just sink the film because they're terrible. And I actually don't really dislike the film outside of that. It's just there's such a core part of the film that I can't say I like the film or enjoyed it because that core part is rotten. Like It's rotten to the core because, in my opinion, that stuff flat out doesn't work. Renard just is so all over the place, no payoff, no interesting... Like, none of these ideas are really built upon in an interesting way. Poorly acted, poor dialogue across the thing. It just doesn't work. Electra is just all over the place, comes across more like a bratty teenager than somebody interesting. I, I think a lot of the ideas are really solid and could have been something better, but this film just doesn't quite have the personality. It doesn't have the writing chops. It doesn't have the acting chops to pull any of it off. And yeah, if the Electra stuff and Renard stuff worked better, this could have just shot up my rankings much higher because I actually was enjoying some of it. It's just once Electra goes full evil and the du- bad dialogue and bad acting starts coming off, it just killed it. It just completely killed it. But about a third of the way through i was like i'm actually quite enjoying this um i don't really disagree with what you're saying with the action and stuff but i still kind of was having a good time with it and what we ended up with is something that kind of doesn't really have the fun aspect of tomorrow never dies and doesn't have the more serious aspect of goldeneye and it kind of tries to do both and kind of doesn't do either so unfortunately yeah i said the director is a safe pair of hands but sometimes a safe pair of hands makes gives you something that's mediocre and doesn't work um, mm. And that's kind of what this film is. So it kind of saddens me because I do want to enjoy this film more. And I think I could have done as a solid middle of the road adventure. But unfortunately, because of Renard, because of uh, Electra, it just makes me really mad. So for me, it was never going to be as bad as Diamonds Are Forever and Octopussy. Yeah, we're starting at the bottom of the list. And I definitely like The Living Daylights more than this. So the big question was, do I like this more or less than For Your Eyes Only? Oh, please. And I'm sorry, Joe, I'm going to put it above For Your Eyes Only. But Chrissy. (laughs) Sorry, Chrissy. Chrissy All right. It's a very similar film to me where it's like some of the ideas are good, uh, but a lot of it just doesn't kind of work. I think the best of For Your Eyes Only is better than the best of The World Is Not Enough. But I still found myself overall kind of liking it a little bit more. Um, I really didn't like For Your Eyes Only, <laughs> uh, if if that wasn't clear enough. Um, so I'm going to put it above For Your Eyes Only. So at number 16, so below The Living Daylights, but above For Your Eyes Only. Oh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it should have really come as no surprise, I think. They were both going to be quite low down, really, which is a shame. Yeah, it's a shame because, uh, as you say, all the ideas are there. And it's not just Skyfall. You know, as you say, the torture stuff, Casino Royale, the oil stuff is Quantum of Solace. Like, all these concepts come back in a lot better way. Well, arguably a lot better way. Yeah. So that was the world that's not enough. I think, I don't think we ever got to the bottom of why was the budget so insane. (laughs) Apart from the location (sighs) switching. But it still doesn't feel like it justified it in the slightest. If anything, it's made it more confusing now because we just pointed out about how many things look bad in this film. <laughs> so, yeah, this isn't maybe... like a big crazy mess. This is just kind of a bit of a sad mess. Maybe it got laundered somewhere. I don't know. Oh, maybe. 
<laughs> Maybe viable broccoli. And actually, no, I don't want to get sued. <laughs> I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, cut that. <laughs> no slander. <laughs> yeah. But now, I guess we're we're going to somewhat follow this progression because next week we got die another day, which I feel like the huge budget of this and all the different kind of confused ideas, it does set up a good foundation for the next film. I do feel like I'm <laughs> kind of more. I'm not going to say in the mood for it, but I think my expectations have been successfully established by watching The World Is Not Enough. I'm in the mood for Die Another Day now, which no one has ever said Yeah, in the history of man. But I am mainly because I just think it is going to be closer. There's no doubt it's going to be closer to Tomorrow Never Dies in tone. And I put that fairly high and I think it, I'm going to enjoy it. Well, I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot more than this film. It could easily go completely the other way, and I just realised how dire it is. But I think I'm going to like it more. I hope so. Yeah. For, for you and me as well. Yeah. But The World Is Not Enough, its ceiling for me was just like a solid, okay Bond film. Like, that was the ceiling for it. And because of the issues I have, it sunk lower. Die Another Day is such a weird, wacky film that this could be like another A Few to a Kill. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or it could be an octopusy. I don't know. So there's almost like a weird high ceiling because I know it's kind of going to be a bit naff and rubbish and all over the place. But I feel like I'm maybe more prepared to get into that stuff as long as it has enough fun with it. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It it just needs, as long as it's more fun, as long as it's more entertaining to me, even if it's actually, this is the thing, I think a bad film is better than a boring film. And I think Agreed. that's yeah. why I might like Die Another Day more. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at your list and that's, <laughs> that's it's, certainly it's, your mantra. Moonraker I'm seeing quite high. <laughs> yes, let's just say that's high chance of that happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, but no, I'm somewhat excited uh, for next week. Yeah. So any last thoughts before we go, Joe? I can't believe we talked so long for a film I didn't really like. That Welcome to my world. oh is this how it feels this is it yeah this is how i felt all those all those uh, weeks ago for you for your eyes only i'm sorry about that (laughs) no 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 mate it's it's, we had to do it we're doing them all no yeah we'll get there cool okay well thank you very much for listening you have been listening to episode 19 of the bond revisited podcast the bond revisited podcast will return next week with die another day (laughs) 